St. Joseph to be followed by the Pledge of Allegiance by Council Member John Gillenhammer. Please stand. <clears throat> I am beginning by pointing out that I have my I Voted sticker, which I did this morning at the El Medina Library. I sing God Bless America at the voting box. <clears throat> it's a good thing that those voting boxes do not have ears. <laughs> <laughs> and <clears throat> that also reminds me to say to all of you who have um, taken public office, that it's, um, it's a good thing to remember the sacrifice that folks who do take public office, who agree to pay attention to our cities, who sacrifice their time for us, whether it's the political party we want or not, all of you folks do work for us. So that's a, a cause for gratitude. And I'd like to do my prayer also in gratitude. <clears throat> Um, for the trees in our town. When I look out the window of our house, I can see on the horizon line about 83 individual trees just from the window of our house. And when I go around Orange, I can see trees. There's no place in Orange you can go that you don't see a tree. And all of this goes back to the third, gen third day of creation when God told the earth to bring forth vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and to fill the land with food <clears throat> and seeds of all variety. Here in Orange, we have all these kinds of trees. We have historic trees that are as old as 300 years. If they could talk, they could tell us all the way back to our original indigenous people. As far as our city trees are concerned, we have 25,000 city trees in our parks and along our streets. Beyond that, there are tens of thousands on private property. And as a credit to our public works department, they have planted about 500 new trees since July. And they plant two new trees for every one that they remove. Now, I'd like to say a poem that maybe all of us learned when we were in grade school. So if you want to kind of poem along, go ahead. <clears throat> Trees by Joyce Kilmer. I think that I shall never see a poem as lovely as a tree. A tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the earth's sweet flowing breast. A tree that looks at God all day and lifts her leafy arms to pray, a tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair, upon whose bosom snow has lain, who intimately lives with rains. Poems are made by fools like me, but no, only God can make a tree. And while only God can make a tree, there are lots of people in our town who make trees be healthy and at home, our home and commercial gardeners, the plant nursery businesses, especially our public works department, and for you, the financial and policy support from the city council and all of our citizens who contribute <clears throat> to our common well-being. 
So God bless God. God bless our trees. Amen. Thank you, sister. <clears throat> Please put your hand over your heart and join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. Ready? Begin. We pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. <clears throat> Sister, I'll always also add that, you know, a, a city without trees isn't fit for a dog. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> Madam Clerk, will you please take the roll? Mayor Pro Tem Barrios? I'm here. Councilmember Dimitriou? Present. Councilmember Tavalaris? Here. Councilmember Bilodeau? Present. Councilmember Gillenhammer? Here. Mayor Slater? Here. A quorum is present with Councilmember Gutierrez excused. Thank you very much. So we've got um, two presentations. Um, it is uh, Nancy, who is not here? Nancy is here, okay. First, we'll have a presentation by Orange High School student, an update by liaison Nancy, uh, I hope I got it right, Albano? Hi, good evening, Mayor um, and Council members. It's Albano, <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> I'll get it right next time. <laughs> Um, at Orange High School, we started the year with a showcase demonstrating all our community members and Panther family, everything that all the students have been working so hard for all year, and as well as including our feeder schools, so our elementary and middle schools, showing off their dance classes, their spirit squads, bands, and CTE classways. Orange High School is the only school that is a national demonstration school towards AVID. And just two weeks ago, we were revalidated once again, the only school in the district and a very few in the country to be a national demonstration school. Um, we had VAPA Day on campus during first to fourth period, showing our visual and performing arts on campus. We had choir, band, and dance to show to get all the freshmen, sophomore, and juniors more involved next year as the seniors leave. Next week, we are no, this week, <laughs> this week, this Thursday, we are having our winter formal, which is fantasy ball. It's Valentine's theme, and it's going to be seven to ten in our dome. We also hosted an alumni baseball game last week with lots of games and festivities, close to 100 attendees. At Orange High School, we have a lot of medical and career pathways. So all our students in medical pathways got the opportunity to go to UCI with the urology department. Forgive me if I said that wrong. And because a lot of applications and FAFSAs are wrapping soon, at Orange High School, we have Parent University, where we have all our senior parents learn more about how our application processes are closing soon and how to wrap up and start FAFSA. It's a workshop during February 24th. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next, we have a presentation from Chapman University Leatherby Center for Entrepreneurship, and that is being presented by Cynthia West. 
Hi, thank you very much to Aaron Schultz and the city council members and the mayor for allowing me the platform to talk a little bit about our programs for entrepreneurship at Chapman University. I joined the university in June, last June, and we decided that we were having a wider vision to inspire an entrepreneurial mindset. So regardless of what students wanted to study, they should, or where they would end up working, they should still have an entrepreneurial mindset and attempt to solve the world's challenges. The center itself is, we're at 549 West Palm Avenue, and so we're in the West Industrial Palm parking space, but we have what we call the Red Shed. And this space allows entrepreneurs to take advantage of trying to start a new company or a new entity. And when I started in June, we were simply, the remit was to help students, staff, and alum. But since that time, um, I'll share with you in just a moment how we're able to now invite the larger community to uh, participate in our programs. So one thing is that we want to make sure everybody knows that we'll support any type of entrepreneur, any type of entrepreneur, whether it's a solopreneur, somebody that wants to run um, a micro business or run a cafe or a restaurant. It can be really anything. And we have part of the programs that we've reinstituted are events. So we have a, an exciting event, for example, coming up on February 23rd. And we'll be having two AI experts from Dell Technologies come to address the community, as well as Lightstorm Entertainment, which is James Cameron's tech firm that made the Avatar movie and the Matrix movies. So all of our events, we had about 10 events in the fall. We'll have another six this spring. Everything is absolutely free to the public and the community. So everybody's absolutely welcome to all of our events at any time to both learn new things, but also connect with other um, students who might end up being employees at your companies or anything of that nature. So we have a whole series coming up this spring one on how to protect your intellectual property, trademarks, copyrights, for example. We have a lot of folks in family business around the <clears throat> county, so we're talking a little bit about succession planning for family businesses. And then we'll have our Shark Tank-like competition, which is the end of our events, and that will be April 12th. And anybody is absolutely welcome to come and pitch and vie for the prizes of, of this competition. And so that's one program that we have are the events. The second program we put back together are our mentors. So we do offer entrepreneurs, even through the community, if you're an entrepreneur and you want some advice, you can be connected with one of our now 77 mentors. We'll be building that up to hopefully a couple of hundred and maybe 400. But in addition to the wider mentorship database, we have what we call entrepreneurs in residence. And they basically sit in the center during the, the week, Monday through Thursday, and they are dedicated to two-hour slots. And folks can just come by and get some uh, advice from one of these uh, entrepreneurs in residence. So we have about 10 of those. And they come, like I said, Monday through Thursday. Um, everything is on the website, so folks can connect there. And the, the third program we started was our startup incubator. So we have a gentleman who 
ran the city of Ontario's Innovation Centre for five years, and he happens to live in Orange. He waltzed in one day and he said, I live in Orange, I've been trying to work with Chapman for a long time, and can I help you? And I said, absolutely. So he's been volunteering countless hours to help students with a very structured program on how to launch a, a business. Um, now, we vied for and won the Accelerate California Inclusive Innovation Hub Award. It's an award from Cal OSBA, and there's only one per county, and Chapman was awarded this $1 million grant over four years. So it's very exciting because where the remit was simply students, staff, and alum in June, this opened our doors as of, of November 13th to any entrepreneurs in the whole county and not just Orange. So can be uh, female founders, people of color, first-generation immigrants, veterans, low-income, people with disabilities, et cetera. So now we're able to offer these all of these programs I just mentioned to um, the wider Orange County community. As part of the grant, we're already supporting the Brea Chamber of Commerce's Women's Workforce Development Program with 77 women who are getting coached on how to go from mid-level career to upper-level careers. So if we're trying to get more women into the boardroom, how is that going to happen if they get stuck in the mid-level? So this program is a year-long program that we're supporting with the grant, part of the grant funding, and um, other cities are, are more than welcome to join into this workforce development program. Uh, we just graduated our first startup cohort, and our um, we had about 24 students in that, so our case study or our success story is from a gentleman named Avneet Singh who worked at Walmart, Zappos, and Zalando, and he's launched a big and tall online store, and he's going to be addressing the 37-plus million Americans that wear a size XL or larger. So he just launched in November, so it's pretty exciting. Yeah, check it out, regentrow.com. <laughs> And uh, we're always looking for folks to volunteer their time and uh, talents and sign up to be mentors. And obviously, please do feel free to uh, email me or uh, you can email um, entrepreneurs at chapman.edu and I'll answer any questions that anybody in the public might, might have. So we're, we're very excited to have this chance to address the wider community. And I want to thank you all for... Uh, for your time. I'm, I'm very grateful. Great. Thank you very much, Cynthia. Okay. And then uh, last but certainly not least, uh, we have a very significant birthday to be recognized. And um, Mayor Pro Tem Barrios will do that. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I'm really excited to do this, and I want to thank um, my good friend, Doug Westfall, who, called, who alerted me to this, and uh, yes, um, and I thought it was a, just a beautiful idea and a great memorial, well, not a memorial, just a, a great proclamation to give. So this is for Miss Jessie Aguirre on um, the occasion of her 105th birthday. Um, so unfortunately, she couldn't be here with us tonight, so, but we're glad to have the family. So you're all family? Are you all the family in the front row? Nice to meet you. Thank you for being here. Whereas Jesse Montoya Aguirre 
was born on January 2nd, 1919 in Jalisco, Mexico, and now celebrates her 105th birthday. And whereas as a child, Jessie stayed in Mexico with her mother while her father immigrated to the city of Orange and found a residence for his family in the Cypress Barrio. And whereas in 1927, Jessie traveled to the United States to meet up with her father and Whereas Jesse attended the Lemon Street School in Orange, moving to Cypress Street School in 1930, so which still is there um, on Cypress Street, and then to the intermediate school, intermediate school on Glacelle. Whereas after studies, Jesse stayed home as a homemaker for her parents and siblings, and whereas Jesse met and married Gregorio in 1941. Their family would eventually grow to include seven children, 27 grandchildren, and 63 great-grandchildren. Oh, I'm sorry, but there's more. 26 great-great-grandchildren. I clearly am not doing enough with my time. Uh, whereas Jessie is passionate about keeping a record of her family's ancestry and is, has maintained a list of members dating back to the 1700s in Mexico, and whereas the, to this day, Jessie lives with her son, Joseph, in Orange. She enjoys gardening and spending time in her yard and reading Dear Abby. Okay. Now, therefore, I, Dan Slater, <laughs> mayor of the city of Orange and the entire city council, do hereby thank Jessie for her contributions to the lives of her family, friends, and neighbors, and the Orange community, and congratulate her on a wonderful life filled with friendship, love, and a beautiful family. Happy 105th birthday from the city of Orange. a milestone. Thank you for coming tonight. Uh, before we move to the consent calendar, I just wanted to comment. Um, uh, Councilmember Gutierrez had a very close family member pass away recently, and that is the reason that she's not here tonight. She's tending to her family. <clears throat> okay. Um, consent calendar. At this time, members of the public may address the council on matters not listed on the agenda. Then the subject matter jurisdiction I'm sorry, not the consent calendar. <clears throat> public comments. At, at this time, members of the public may address the council on matters not listed on the agenda within the subject matter jurisdiction of the city council, provided that no action may be taken on off-agenda items unless authorized by law. Public comments are limited to three minutes per speaker. 
got a couple of speakers. First one is Brenda Lebsick. Please uh, approach the podium, and uh, it's to be followed uh, with Robert S. Is Brenda here? I'm a former Orange Unified School District board member, a teacher in Santa Ana, and an insider of the California Teachers Association. I can tell you firsthand that my teachers' union is corrupt. They lie, lie, and lie. They lie to parents, the community, even to their own members. They push books in our schools telling kindergartners that their gender can change like the weather based on their feelings, and that there are infinite pronouns to choose from. I see these books firsthand. Many of these books are from the Human Rights Campaign that partners with the teachers' union. The orange mayor, Dan Slater, is on the national board of the Human Rights Campaign. You can Google that, Human Rights Campaign National Board. His organization and the teachers' union say that schools should be able to change a child's gender, name, and pronouns based on a child's request without the parent notification or knowledge. Please Google Human Rights Campaign Welcoming Schools so you can see some of these elementary and primary books that I'm talking about that Dan Slater um, recommends. In fact, I saw it happen in 2019 when I was a board member. A Catholic mom reached out to me in tears because her son with autism was being socially transitioned at school with a changed name and pronouns behind his parents' backs. Mind you, these parents were very involved in the PTA and in their son's IEPs. They felt very betrayed by El Medina High School because their son never showed signs that he wanted to be a different gender. By the time the parents found out, it was too late. When he turned 18, only six months before graduating, the activist group that befriended him and made him feel so special convinced him that his parents hated him and that he should move out. They showed up at his house with an LGBT legal advocate, helped him pack, and said they would become his chosen family. His parents felt helpless because they failed to establish legal guardianship before his 18th birthday. To this day, this family is shattered and feels like the school enabled the kidnapping of their beloved son, and they did. Since then, the Orange Board passed a parent notification policy to prevent future tragedies like this. But the teacher union wants to reverse this safeguard. They're all in for deceiving parents and confusing young children with unlimited gender choices. As a teacher and a union member, I do not trust this corrupt organization or anyone that partners with them. They are anti-parent, anti-police, anti-honesty. No on the recall. Next speaker is Robert S. to be followed by Rosa Ortero. Good evening. I'm uh, sorry for Ms. Gutierrez's loss. Um, Last meeting, I came before this body to express my disappointment and discuss with some of Councilmember Gutierrez's actions. Well, it turns out that not only did she lend her name to a flyer packed with lies, she did so having never spoke with Trustee Minor. She didn't even recognize Trustee Minor while she was speaking with her at a joint meeting between this council and their board. So I had a few questions for Ms. Gutierrez since she uh, decided to break tradition and get involved in school board politics. Where have you been? Where have you been for the last seven years? Where have you been while OUSD students' scores were plummeting under the previous board and superintendent? 
A superintendent, by the way, that was receiving half, close to half a million dollars in total compensation. Three of the schools in her district, District 5, have the lowest scores in OUSD, Prospect, Jordan, and Esplanade. Not one of those have students uh, that meet more than 31% of mass standards. One of those schools, Esplanade, has lost 40% of its student population. Is that what we want as a city? Is that what we want as a school district? Is that what we want to continue for our students? 50% of our graduates don't even meet requirements to get into UC or, CS, uh, or the CSU system. And it gets worse as they age in our system. 75% of our 11th graders don't even meet math standards. OUSD was once one of the best school districts in Orange County. It's now second to last. The activists in the Yes campaign that she lent her name to have pushed a racial tribalism on our community that has split our district. And her actions, whether she knew it or not, have contributed to those tensions. For the love of our city and community, get educated on the situation. Stop embarrassing this council, this city, and OESD with partisan nonsense. Once again, in opposition of Ms. Gutierrez, I say to all of Orange and everyone in OUSD boundaries, vote no on the recall and vote out Anna Gutierrez. Next is Rosa Otero, followed by Sonia Anderson. Good evening, my name is Rose Otero. I am a 25, almost 26 year resident here in Orange. And how they say in Spanish, no se lava ropa sucia en casa ajena. You don't wash dirty laundry in a stranger's house. But today we're gonna have to because Anna Gutierrez decided to bring along all of our um, dirt. I would like to know why Anna Gutierrez has not advocated for higher education for Hispanics and Latinos that are on the um, lower income side versus the Anaheim Hills. I wanna know why you haven't advocated for an equal education for the Hispanics and the whites. Why you've been a bipartisan, uh, why you've been a partisan versus a bipartisan when schools are actually education and it should be directly affecting the kids and their future. This is not a Democrat or Republican, even though conservatives that are on the board are actually advocating for higher education for all kids in our district. So that's what I would like to know. Also, I would like to um, showcase how the union in our district has divided our city. And so we have teachers that are wearing um, the recall shirts during school hours. We have signs that have a recall actually on the cars, which it's totally you know, free speech, but is it appropriate for children? Because now the children are actually getting into fights. Now we have a union that has been so radical that now the children are starting to divide conservatives versus liberals. Is that appropriate? Is it appropriate for us to have this in our city when we voted? We voted, we all get one vote, and we voted on change. San Juan Capistrano, South County, they actually flipped their board. They fired a superintendent. Nobody said anything. Nobody started a recall. Yet this union has become so radicalized that it's dividing our city. I understand, Mr. Slater, that you've actually associated with the National Board of Human Rights campaign, which is actually associated with the California Teachers Association. They've actually linked to 55,000 for this recall. 
that's negating my vote. I have my one vote, and now you guys are having this union. We have, bi uh, have partisan people. We have the Democratic Party, the Superintendent Thurmond, coming down to our little tiny district to saying, you know, vote these people out. We voted them in. We as parents, we as residents, we voted these people in. And now all of a sudden, you have Sacramento coming down and telling us your vote doesn't matter because you have to do what I say. And you have this union now that's becoming so radicalized that it's dividing the children. The children should be learning the basics. Why should the children have to be divided? You should advocate for a strong education. There's no need to divide the city. They voted. If you don't like the vote, wait for the next election and then have a different vote. But you don't get to divide a city to now you have conservatives versus liberals, and you don't have a union that has so upset that now they have to take over control of our district. That's children's education. It, it should not be a political game. It should be only strictly education. And you, Mrs. Gutierrez, you should advocate for us to have a better education for Latino kids. Sonia Anderson, followed by Alex Tran. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am a resident of Orange. I went to Portola, I went to Orange High, went to Richland, um, joined the service for over two decades, came back, was very happy that my little girl, mind you, I did have during one of my deployments, when my oldest daughter graduated from Villa Park High School. I came back, was very happy, my little girl, out of my five that I had, was going to go to school here like I did. Uh, elementary school, fundraising. I am one of the parents that is always there, volunteering, raising money for each school, loving on the teachers, trying to take care of everything. However, I am very upset about everything that is going on. Um, pandemic happened. It's right at the time that I retired, came back. Very happy, loved the principals, got back. I am, so I'm going to read this more little thing to you. Because we should not trust the teachers' union. I think the union is, yes, very accurate. We should not trust the union. I do trust a lot of the teachers. Uh, my daughter is now at Santiago, and I love most of the teachers, love the principals. So no, it's not the problem. I think that union is the problem. The teachers' union is not making our schools safer. They are doing just the opposite. They say they make it safer for LGBTQ students. However, they endorse a book that teaches kids how to use an adult sex app called Grind. This book is called The Book is Gay by Juno Lawson. The book tells the kids how to upload a selfie on the app so the app can access their location to hook up. The book in instructs them on how to perform various sex acts. How, it's, how is this safe? It is not safe at all. In fact, it places kids who identify as LGBTQ in harm's way, exploitation and harmful trafficking. The Teachers Union also endorses the Trevor Project and Trevor Space. Space mixes minors with unvetted random adults on an international virtual platform to explore their gender in chat clubs. There's nothing safe about this. Gay parents look into Trevor's space and wrote an article calling Trevor's space a pedophile's paradise. Yet this is the organization, the teachers' union, and our state superintendent, Termers, trust to keep our kids 
safe. And I'm sorry, I'm very emotional right now. Thank you, Trustee Madison Minor and Rick Ledesma for having the backbone to stand up against this deception and corrupt teacher union. I know there are great teachers out there, but they need to take a deeper look into the organization union because it's time good teachers revolt from within or get out of it. Most teachers are parents, so I ask the teachers that are parents, do you want your kids using adult sex dating apps? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next is Alex Tran, followed by Louise Sabin. Is Alex Tran here? Maybe he'll show up. Let's go to Louise Sabin. Thank you. Solomon. Sorry, my writing's not that great sometimes. Hi, everyone. Have a, um, I hope you're having a great evening. My name is Louise Solomon. California Precinct Activators. I'm a cons I'm a constitutional activist. You, you, you can Pull back a little. You can back. Okay. It, can you all hear me? Yes. Oh, okay. I'm a constitutional activist because constitution plus activism equals liberties. And right now, we are losing our liberties at an alarmingly fast rate. And one of the reasons we're losing our liberties is because we are supporting a California teachers union that's trying to remove parental rights. And only parents have the jurisdiction what to do with their parents. And I'm, I'm, this is going to be sent on the internet. This is going everywhere. I support Madison Minor. I support Rick Ledesma. And I encourage any parents that love their kids and want their kids to live the American dream for their kids and their posterity to vote no on the recall. Because voting no on the recall equals parental rights. And I can't imagine there's anybody in this chamber here that doesn't love their kids. Either it's out of ignorance or I don't know what. But if you love your kids, and they matter to you, and you want to see them live a good life, you don't want to see them put in mental health facilities for the rest of their life because they've had sex changes. This is like Dr. Mengele on steroids. Okay, and you know, the wheels of justice turn, albeit slowly, and we all heard of the Nuremberg trials. And this is what's gonna happen to anyone that has taken the oath of office in the public sector if they don't do anything about it. Okay, so I've made myself clear on that issue. Now I'm gonna to talk to you about another issue. Okay, it's come to my attention that you, the City Council of Orange County, is aware that the city has received state funding for middle mile and last mile project which are being used to create 15-minute smart cities. Okay. Now, I've seen this documented in reports filed by the State Treasury Department and the State Public Utilities Commission. And I would like to know, and I speak on behalf of a lot of activists, and patriots, we demand to know where this location is. And I don't know if you can respond now, but what I would like to see, because I also go to the Board of Supervisors, yesterday I was at Bellflower City Council, there's a lot of us fighting this, 
And I would like to know or ask that this be put I'm sorry, ma'am, your time is up. For the ca next calendar. Thank you. Okay. Um, Stanley S. And that's to be followed by Michelle. Good afternoon, people. I ask that you vote no on the recall, because these are people with great values and want the best for the kids. So please, think of the kids when you make this decision. Thank you. Uh, Michelle. Hello, City Council. I'd like to find out um, if, you, if the city has approved uh, the 5G towers going up. And I, I guess this can be answered at a different time. I don't know if you answer it like in a website later or if I ask questions now, how the answers get. Oh, this is just a time for you to speak. We don't respond. Oh, you don't respond. Okay. So um, 5G is very, very dangerous. Um, the AT&T and the T-Mobiles are promoting that it's, you know, high, high, fast streaming and stuff like that, but it's a microwaving of us as we sit under this when they are on top of the buildings. Um, it's a slow death and um, it's not good. So I just, I wanted to know if Orange was, um, had approved the 5G towers going up through the city and if they had, who had approved them and um, the names of the city planners. So I guess I should call somebody to find out. I'll call the planning department. They'll be happy to answer that question. Okay. okay, great, thank you. Thank you. Did Alex Tran come back? Alex Tran, last call. All right. Okay, that ends our public comments. Now we'll move the consent calendar. <clears throat> All items on the consent calendar are considered routine and are enacted by one motion, approving the recommended action list on the agenda. Any member of the city council, staff, or the public may request an item be removed from the consent calendar for discussion or separate action. Are there any items that any of my colleagues would like to remove or discuss? Seeing none, I'll entertain a motion. I'll move approval, Mr. Mayor. Okay. Second. Motion by Council Member Billado, second by Council Member <clears throat> Dimitru. Uh, any other discussion? If not, please vote. That is approved unanimously. Okay, item four, reports from Mayor Slater. I have about, uh, oh, sure, go ahead. I just wanted to say I didn't pull the treasurer's report, but um, when the next time one is due should be right prior to um, our going into budget discussions. It would be nice to have that report as a presentation at that time, just to help better inform where we're going as we go into that those deliberations, which I know are going to be tough this year. Okay. Good suggestion. City manager says thumbs up. All right. Uh, I do not have any reports tonight. Um, so any other council members have anything they'd like? Council Member Dimitri. Thank you, Mayor. <clears throat> One of the things that I think we all can agree on, um, not just on the dais, but I think the community at large is that uh, vandalism, um, specifically graffiti, is such an incredible blight. And uh, 
It affects both public and private property. And these, uh, these folks that go out and destroy our, our city uh, by painting and etching and this, that, or the other <clears throat> are one of the lowest forms of our, uh, our population uh, because they're taking property that doesn't belong to them and destroying it for no other purpose than putting their mark on it. So one of the things I'd like to see done, and I, uh, it's not on the agenda, so we can't take action, but I'd like to start working with city staff, specifically our, uh, a designee from the police department, uh, code enforcement, as well as myself, and if anybody, uh, as long as we don't violate the Brown Act, uh, but is introduce a, uh, a graffiti uh, bounty program. In that is that we'll have money that's set aside, and if a resident spots uh, a person uh, either graffiti or vandalizing a, a, a public property or private, uh, you don't go up and tackle them, you don't go interact. You take a photo and you call the police department. If it leads to, uh, my goal is if it leads to apprehension, I will reward that for trying to keep Orange beautiful and safe and clean. Um, I think it, it, it puts us hand in hand with our public to combat uh, a blight and with that, um, we'll keep our, our city as just absolutely spectacular as it should be. So it, it's in the beginning stages, I think, but um, it's something I want to move forward, and I'd like uh, for us to join that uh, we can move forward with a program, and again, it'd be baby steps in, in trying to get uh, get going on this. That's, that's the first item I have, and just hopefully everybody's okay with that. Anyone having a problem with that? I think you're good. Perfect. The second thing I wanted to talk about real quickly is <clears throat> um, yesterday uh, at, the, at the outlets of Orange, or as I still refer to it as the city shopping center, um, there was a, uh, a, a smash and grab uh, flash mob robbery. A uh, bunch of folks came in, stole a bunch of things, and ran out. So you probably see this on the news a lot. And this isn't L.A., this isn't Los Angeles where these heathens are allowed to just run around and do what they want. Um, the unfortunate part is the actual ability to catch folks uh, doing this is pretty tough. Um, and it's, again, it affects the bottom line when we have our businesses getting attacked uh, and their, their merchandise stolen, the businesses don't wanna stay. They don't stay in business. They don't keep people employed. They don't employ people, then we're going to end up with more homeless. We end up with more homeless. We end up with more social and economic problems in the city. So it's a, it's a pure, it, I'm sorry, it's a waterfall of issues that are associated. So one of the things that I think that this, that this council should embrace um, in the coming future is something that uh, maybe the police chief would like to talk about, uh, but is having the ability to enter into a program uh, called the Flock uh, LPR program which reads license plates. And the reason is that security cameras at facilities like the, uh, like the outlets of Orange um, could have picked up a plate of one of the suspects. It could be entered into a system. And then anywhere that suspect goes, uh, where there's law enforcement present, can be notified by reading that license plate that this person is wanted in the city of Orange for uh, robbery or for assault or for uh, auto burglary, or for you know vandalism, whatever it is, and we can enforce, and we can get arrests, and we can prosecute, and we can start teaching people, when you come to Orange and you commit a crime, 
we're going to take you all the way to where you go to prison. Um, do you want to, is that good enough? You like that? So it's interestingly, I just uh, heard about this program for the first time yesterday, the flock program and our city manager and police chief are already on it. And so I'm anxious to hear more about it. Yeah. Thank you, mayor and uh, council member Dimitri for bringing this up. Uh, it's a, a great time to bring it up. Unfortunately, uh, what we saw a couple days ago at the outlets is all too common in California and all over the country. Fortunately for us, uh, this is only the second or third time this has happened uh, in the city of Orange. Uh, knock on wood that it doesn't happen again. But um, one thing we need uh, certainly is harsher sentences so that people uh, feel like they uh, don't have the freedom to commit these crimes and get away with it. So that's one aspect of it. But on our end, on the, on the law enforcement uh, crime reduction end, uh, we need better tools. Um, and the way of... Uh, policing now is going towards real-time crime centers, uh, real-time intelligence. Flock is a company that provides solar-powered license plate readers as well as point-tilt-zoom cameras uh, that we need to get on board with. Um, many cities in Orange County are already on board. Many cities in the state are on board. Uh, I'll give you a quick, since Councilmember Dimitri brought this up, I'll give you a quick success story if you don't mind me mentioning it. Um, Councilmember Dimitri's car was burglarized a couple weeks ago at his uh, residence. Um, we located the suspect vehicle license plate on surveillance video from uh, a neighboring complex or the complex. That license plate was captured by a license plate reader through Flock in Costa Mesa. And Costa Mesa was able to stop the car and arrest the suspects. So we need that technology here. I think it's a great time. I think it's... Uh, you know, with with our with the increase in crime throughout California, I think this is a, a great time. I'm going to be coming back in March with a full report, um, kind of our plan, uh, how we're going to pay for it, and how we think it's going to impact uh, crime in the city of Orange. So I think it'll be great. Great, thank okay. you, thank you, Mayor. Fantastic, thank you, Chief. Okay, any other council members? All right, then uh, I'll ask if uh, item number six, if there's any AB1234 reports that council members have. Seeing none, moving to um, item seven, reports from boards, committees, and commissions. Um, item 7.1, we have a letter of resignation from Design Review Committee member Carol Fox, uh, who's going to leave just shy of uh, the end of her term. And um, do we have a speaker for that? None? There's not a speaker for that, is there? Okay. Uh, we uh, need a motion to accept her resignation. Moved by Councilmember Dimitri, seconded by Councilmember Gillenhammer. Please vote. Seven to zero. This will start the process whereby our city clerk will advertise the vacancy and uh, we'll, we'll find a, someone to fill that position. 7.2, appointments to the San Diego Creek Commission. <clears throat> so as you know, uh, we decided, well, <laughs> based on the city attorney's office, we decided that uh, we would uh, create a San Diego Creek Commission instead of having an ad hoc committee uh, to uh, follow the law, be transparent, uh, Notice meetings, follow the Brown Act. <clears throat> so the uh, positions were put out uh, for notice. 
we had an incredible 22, 24, I'm sorry, people apply for this Creek Commission, which is really impressive. And so many of the applications were outstanding. It was really hard for, I know, all of you to, to pick from amongst them, but you all have uh, sent me your um, nominations and, and I think they're all excellent. And so therefore, I will um, move that we uh, accept the uh, nominations to the St. Al Creek Commission. And I'll, I'll mention who they are very quickly. Um, <clears throat> Robert Baca, um, David Hillman, uh, Brendan Moeller, and Michael Knight, and Susan Tillo, and don't tell me, Addison Adams. Oh, my own, yes, Pam <laughs> Pamela Galera. <laughs> so uh, we have a motion and a second. Any other discussion or, or comments from the council? Seeing not, please vote. Fantastic, we're on our way. Administrative reports, uh, item 8.1, agreement agreements between the city and Milan REI XLLC to extend certain statutes of limitation to further evaluate non-residential uses for the Brandman site and the Creekside Village site. And I'm sorry, I still see Michelle showing up. She's, that's good. We just have one speaker? Okay. Uh, we do have one speaker. Do any of the council members want to say anything prior to that? Okay, uh, Drew Whitefeather, you're on. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. Technology. Good evening, Mayor and City Council members. Um, my first question would be, why now? Why now is Milan willing to negotiate in good faith an open space on the arena property in Sully Miller. After putting my neighborhood through 12 years of a Supreme Court case and three referendums. For me, good faith would be donating the arena property to the neighborhood, putting Sully Miller in a property, property into a conservatory so it can become a park. I'm sure there's some great tax breaks out there for them. This agreement speaks about educational institutional use, not passive educational use. Educational institutes use is not use for is not a use for open space. If Milan is thinking of selling this property to an educational institution, they know what would have to be required to do that. And I feel my neighborhood would not support that. I would like city council to make the ad hoc committee meetings open to the public viewing. The city talks about being more transparent and this is a good way to show that. The community is, has spoken on what the residents want. Please remember that Sully Miller is under LEA's jurisdiction and nothing can be done with this property until LEA releases it. Thank you. Thank you, Drew. I'll bring it back to the council for any other discussion. By the way, if, if should we pass this, then I'll um, suggest 
um, some people for the ad hoc committee with the council's concurrence. Do we have a That's mode? a clarifying yes, question? Absolutely. In the, uh, in the staff report and, uh, and in, the, uh, in the agreement, it says for, uh, it also includes recreational uses and uh, forget the wording right off the top of my head, I'm sorry. Go back to it. I just wanna make sure that's still accurate based off that, uh, the, the public comment. Uh, re recreational uh, sports uses, uh, as well as a potentially educational institution uh, use. It isn't limiting it just to educational, that's correct? Councilmember, that's correct. These are just suggestions, These okay. are just ideas, I think, that they're throwing out there as potential uses for the property. Right, and the tolling agreement would apply to uh, uh, the, these and, non, and other uh, non-residential uses. Basically, anything's on the table, yeah. All right, thank you. Any other questions, comments? Seeing none, we have a, did, did you have a, I wanted to know procedurally, are, is there going to be any other staff input for questions or is it just us with the city attorney or what is the expectation for this evening? Is that a question for me, council member? Yes. Uh, I think if there's a motion and a second on the table, if there's additional questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Okay. Um, I actually don't have a question, but I have something to say. Is that all right? Sure. Okay. I'm sorry? No, no, I don't want a second. <laughs> so please do. Um, I just wanted to say that, you know, I, the, as a city manager and the city attorney, now that we've had discussions about this ad nauseum and, and my particular feeling on this is I, I'm just really uncomfortable with it. I'm really, really uncomfortable with it. I think that the city has been through a great deal of turmoil over these properties, and this is almost just insulting in that way. So um, I will be voting no this evening. I cannot in good conscience support this. So thank you. Very well. Thank you for your comment. Okay, um, there's no uh, other discussion or questions. We have a motion from Councilmember Bilodeau or a second from Councilmember Dimitru. Please vote. <laughs> Okay, that's approved uh, five to one with uh, Mayor Pro Tem being the no vote. So uh, now I'll ask a city attorney, um, is there any reason why the ad hoc committee could not be uh, open to the public? Not at all, Mayor. My mic was still on. No, not at all. No, it could be open to the public if you'd like. Okay, fantastic. So my suggestion is um, that the Creek Committee that is now out of existence um, be the ad hoc committee, so that would be myself, Councilmember Gutierrez, Councilmember Gillenhammer. If uh, anyone else has any thoughts or comments about that, please let me know. Very well, then I uh, understand we don't need a vote for that. We just, uh, it's just an announcement and concurrence from the council. Thank you. Mayor, before we move on, if I could just make one real quick comment. There were two typos in the agreement on uh, with the Creekside Village. Uh, if, if, if it's okay with the council, I'll, I'll correct those typos before the Not final contract problem. is executed. Thank you. 
You want to just mention quickly what they were? Sure. Um, in recital B, the uh, there's a mention of the Brandman site. It should say Creekside Village site. And in the recitals also, it, it skips, it goes A, B, C, and that skips to E. So it should say, obviously, A, B, C, D, E, and then following. Those are the typos. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Even the city attorney makes mistakes. It happens. <laughs> okay. Very well. Um, item 8.2 was to be to declare the property located at 15. 515 Fletcher Avenue, a surplus right-of-way, authorized property exchange with Rexford Industrial Realty. Resolution number 11526, staff has requested that uh, we continue this item. I'd like a motion to do so. <clears throat> motion from Mayor Pro Tem Barrios, second by Councilmember Dimitru. Please vote. tonight that is approved five with uh what happened kathy off the oh kathy stepped away okay did you want to vote kathy or is it too late okay it's okay all right, uh, item nine, reports from city manager, and uh, city manager would like to discuss, as uh, council probably would as well, safe and sane fireworks. City manager. Well, good evening, mayor, members of the city council. Um, over the last several months, we've uh, had some discussions on uh, the thought of bringing uh, fireworks back, uh, safe and sane fireworks, I should say, to the city of Orange. Um, there was a ballot measure in the early 90s that created a uh, municipal code that basically um, uh, made it illegal for safe and sane fireworks. Um, through these discussions, we're looking uh, for any direction from council on should we bring this back to council if there's any interest in, in potentially bringing back uh, the safe and sane fireworks to the city of Orange. Thank you, city manager. Council members. What do you have to say? Uh, I have an opinion, Mr. Mayor. Okay. So um, this is something that I tried to bring back uh, about 10 years ago and uh, was unsuccessful at the time. Um, every city surrounding Orange sells fireworks for the 4th of July. Anaheim, Garden Grove, Villa Park, um, and Santa Ana. Mm -hmm. uh, Orange residents are buying fireworks and they're lighting them off in the street in front of their home. Um, they're quite popular. Um, and the cities, in fact, uh, our nonprofits are, are losing out on those opportunities. Um, it's, you know, it's the high schools and elementary schools and nonprofits that conduct the sales. It's not for-profit uh, entities. And um, just given the fact that uh, they're sold everywhere else, I think it's kind of silly that they're prohibited in orange. Uh, but that being said, uh, it did go to the voters in 1990. Um, I think maybe views have changed. These fireworks are very heavily regulated. And um, I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, on the night of the 4th of July, I could hear them going off all over the city. So they're already here. Um, 
So uh, I'm interested in directing the staff to research the history of the ballot measure to see whether or not we do have to go back to the voters um, to change things. Um, if we did that, we'd have to go in November, and I understand the cost is about $8,000 to put something on the ballot. Um, I'd want the staff to research um, a limitation on how many permits would be offered. It can't be a free-for-all. And there's some metrics on that I think that uh, the staff can research. Um, we'd need to work with the fire chief and having a, a geographic boundary in terms of we can't go too far east into the you know, wildland interface areas. We, we can't allow sales and the use of them out there. Um, I think Hughes Street, I think, is kind of the demarcation line that I've heard. And, uh, and also, uh, state law allows uh, the city to recoup uh, 7% of the sales um, to be used for the fire department for their activities to um, inspect and uh, the additional uh, services that probably are rendered on the evening of the 4th of July as a result of the use of these. And um, those are the, uh, the big items, and I'd like to direct the staff uh, to bring that back at a future meeting, and I'm very interested in hearing what my colleagues' uh, thoughts are on this. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember DePillado, Mayor Pro Tem Barrios. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I don't necessarily disagree in terms of taking it back to the voters. I think that I think we'll find that they are the ones who have to decide. But I will say this: that of all the messages I received from residents, fireworks is the number one by far and away. I. It started out as parking, and then it went to fireworks. It's all about fireworks, and it's all times of year, um, which is interesting. I think I, I do want to say um, to our police department, you've done an amazing job stepping up and trying to educate people, let them know what the fines are, you know, that we take that seriously because I know it's the illegal ones um, that are really causing the problem, that are the most dangerous, that injure people, that are making the most noise, which is in the last two years, to, some people don't agree, but I think it's been significantly better than it has been in years past. So I thank you all for all your efforts. And um, I guess that would be an interesting thing to add, just having some data about the illegal versus would bringing back the safe and sane drop down the number of um, illegal fireworks and that type of activity. It'd be interesting to know if any of our sister cities around us have any anecdotal information about that. I'm sure there's not a lot of factual information, but I would be interested to know and some thoughts about that. So, um, so I would add that if there was any information we could get about that. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mayor Pro Tem. Councilmember Dimitri. Thank you. I'm in agreement with uh, Councilmember Billado. I remember the hard charge battle you made before uh, charging up the hill there. Um, it's the same thing as what, what we've done in Orange is you actually criminalize people that obey the law. Um, you know, the, the folks that, uh, um, you know, light off illegal fireworks, they're going to light off illegal fireworks either way. And what you've done is you've, you've actually stolen uh, something that's, a, you know, a great memory from childhood, uh, specifically for me when I was growing up, used to have the metal sparklers, uh, which were a blast. Um, and, uh, you know, I still remember the cone fountains, and it was something you looked forward to in the summertime. And uh, it's no secret uh, uh, for me is I support uh, a number of Santa Ana nonprofits. Uh, actually, now, um, the last couple years, 
it's Villa Park High School uh, because I buy fireworks. And then I go to Santa Ana to light them off. <laughs> um, but it doesn't make sense that, uh, you know, I would rather support a nonprofit in the city of Orange that supports our children and supports our, our missions for, uh, for our different groups um, in order to capture that and let them continue with their missions. Um, so I, I support wholeheartedly going forward um, with the repeal of any ordinances that ban safe and sane. And by safe and sane, that, those are the ones that are on the ground. It isn't these mortars that go up in the air and, and pop off and scare the living bejeebas out of you. Um, it's, it's the little things, the fountains. And uh, now, mind you, some of them have the, the, all the firecracker things that shoot out too. But um, the safe and sane fireworks that are produced um, by uh, you know, the, the firework vendors, and I can't name all the, the, the different companies, but um, they produce very safe products. The California um, Fire Marshal has done a very good job at regulating on top of that, as uh, Councilmember Bilodeau mentioned, gives us an opportunity at capturing money towards enforcement on those folks that are lighting illegal fireworks that we're paying for right now out of the general fund. We're, we're out there, our police officers, our firefighters are out there right now, or I shouldn't say right now, but on the 4th and around the 4th of July, patrolling, and that, that all costs a lot of money. This gives us the ability to capture some of that back and replenish the general fund. The general fund, uh, it, for some of you that may be here for your very first meeting and have never sat in a city council meeting or ever heard about the city, general fund is what pays for potholes, it pays for the employees, it pays for the parks, it pays for the weed eater, when they, uh, the leaf blower guy when he comes through the, through the city park. And uh, um, it's important that we can't find any ability to recapture money and this is one of those. So Council Member Bill and I, I wholeheartedly support this. Thank you. So I'll just uh, chime in. Um, last year, I thought perhaps if we did better um, notification, we put up signs, you know, fireworks are illegal, $1,000 fine, and, uh, and we enforced it better, and the police department did their best. I think we threw $40,000 or something like that at it to try to tamp it down, and I think that uh, it helped, but clearly on the 4th of July, it was uh, a war zone as usual, and so I've, I've becoming convinced that this is uh, just something that is uh, not practical to enforce. It's kind of like prohibition in the 30s. Um, the, um, the other thing that is interesting, well, not only are we surrounded by everyone selling fireworks, but, um, well, I know I was going to say that the police department has told me that you have to, they have to actually catch someone lighting an illegal firework to to arrest them, so that's why it's so difficult to enforce. But if we had safe and sane fireworks, then the police department could focus their efforts on going after the ones who are, are shooting off illegal fireworks. If we had a perimeter like uh, Councilmember Demetrius suggested on the east to keep it out of East Orange and away from flammable materials. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think it's it's, what we have now is just plain not working, and I don't like laws that, that can't be enforced and don't work, and I don't think it works for anybody. Um, 
I would wish we could make them go away uh, truly for the sake of especially dog owners. <clears throat> but um, I think it's something that we, it's time that we, we consider. But the, the bottom line is since the residents passed it initially and it was only 51% to 49% to ban fireworks, I think it might uh, bear a revisit, but to change the law will require a vote of the citizens anyway. So we'll have it, this ultimately will be decided by the citizens. Is that correct, city attorney? It, we're still researching the issue, Mayor, but right at this point, it's going to have to go back to the voters. Okay, which I think is a great idea. It'll provide a lot of public forum and debate. So with that, uh, I think that uh, you got your message. Yes, sir. All right. <clears throat> do you have any other reports, city manager? Yes, I do. Uh, again, uh, good evening, Mayor, Ma members of the city council. Our uh, finance director, uh, Ms. Trang Nguyen, and our budget team will be uh, presenting our uh, year-end budget report. <clears throat> All right, good evening, Mayor and members of the City Council. I'll be presenting the year-end budget report for fiscal year 23, focusing on the general <clears throat> fund budget. <clears throat> so we'll start off with the fiscal year 23 year-end general fund revenues. This slide compares our unaudited actuals. It's in the column on the far right with the revised budget and our year-end estimate in the columns on the left. For fiscal year 23, operating revenue totaled approximately $136.9 million. And overall, there was only a slight variance from our actuals when compared to our year in estimates, with a less than 1% difference overall. Majority of this revenue is property tax and sales tax. Property tax at just shy of $52.8 million is right on target with our year-end estimate, coming in just slightly lower than expected. Similarly, sales tax is very close to our year-end estimate, coming in only slightly higher than expected. While most of the other revenue categories were relatively close to the year-end estimates, there were a few larger variances that I'll expend on now. TOT was about 15% or $780,000 over what we had estimated at year-end. This is mostly attributed to the success of the city's established STR program, which accounts for 10% of TOT revenue as well as favorable trends in local travel despite predictions for a slower travel economy. Use of money and property revenue was up about 35% or $600,000 compared to the year in estimate. This category includes interest, leases of city property and rentals of park facilities. This difference is mostly attributed to a higher volume of investments and a higher return on investments with the favorable market in 2023. Lastly, miscellaneous revenue was about 38% or $238,000 lower than estimated, mostly due to revenues that are not easily anticipated, such as donations and reimbursements from damage to city property. Considering overall revenues, a transfer of $2 million combined from the capital IT capital projects funds is listed below the operating revenue. And that total, which brings us the total revenues to just under $138.9 million. 
Taking a look at fiscal year 23 revenue from a higher viewpoint, this chart displays the revenue breakdown by category by percentage. At 38%, property tax remains our lead source of revenue, with sales tax as a close secondary source at 37%. Together, they make up three quarters of the general fund revenue. Fees for service, licenses and permits, and TOT combined make up 14% of the revenues, while all other categories make up the remaining 11%. Um, at our last quarterly budget meeting, council identified interest and sales tax revenue specifically. So this chart displays a breakdown of sales tax by industry for fiscal year 23. As you can see, there's a good distribution between the various categories. Note the fuel and services stations makes up about 12% of sales tax revenue, which does consider the city's sales tax share agreements. The largest category is the county pool allocations at 16%, which accounts for online sales tax revenues. While there has been a slight decrease in this category, mostly due to fulfillment centers, e-commerce trends as well as buy online and pick up in store activity increase in fiscal year 23, especially during the holiday season. Categories such as autos, transportation, building construction, and general consumer goods perform slightly lower than expected, mostly due to tighter consumer household budgets. These categories account for approximately 43% of the city's fiscal year 23 sales tax revenue. Other categories remain consistent or slightly increase and account for the remaining 29%. <coughs> Next, we'll move on to fiscal year 23 general fund expenditures. Similarly structured to the revenues, please note the city's unaudited actuals in the column on the far right with the revised budget and our year and estimate in the columns on the left. Overall, the variance between the year and estimate and the unaudited actuals is extremely minimal. It's about $12,000 or 0.01%. Expenditures were lower than estimated in several categories, including salaries, contractual services, and capital outlay. The area with the largest variance from year end estimates was materials and supplies, which came in higher than expected, mostly due to higher expenditures occurring in the second half of the fiscal year. The total expenditures includes transfers out totaling about $23.3 million. This includes larger transfers related to um, ARPA reimbursements to the capital projects, equipment replacement, and computer replacement funds totaling $20.5 million when combined, as well as transfers totaling $1.2 million to the EMT transport and city liability funds for anticipated expenses. <clears throat> An additional amount of a little over 1.7 million accounts for mid-year transfers necessary to fund unanticipated expenditures in the workers' compensation, equipment expense, and self-insurance funds. When combining the operating expenditures with these transfers, total expenditures amount close to $158 million. Looking at operating expenditures overall, the majority of the fiscal year 23 operating expenditures is salaries and benefits, which is typical of a full-service city. As you can see, when combining both safety and non-safety groups, this totals about 69% of the general fund operating expenditure. The second largest expense category is internal service costs at 16%. This category covers allocations to cover costs associated with vehicle maintenance, fuel costs, computer equipment replacement, general liability, and workers' compensation. The third largest general fund expenditure for first quarter is, uh, I mean, sorry, for the um, fiscal year 23 is contractual services at 11%, which includes large contracts such as citywide landscaping, tree services, animal control, and custodial services. 
In summary, when considering our fiscal year 23 operating revenues of 136.9 million and operating expenditures of 135.6 million expenditures, we end up with an operating surplus of $1.3 million, about 1.2 million above our year end estimate. As you can see, most of this is attributed to higher than anticipated revenues and staying consistent with spending on the expenditure side. This surplus along with transfers in, um, in of $2 million, transfers out of $23.3 million, and year-end adjustments and carryovers totaling $4.2 million amounts to a negative net impact of about $24.2 million to the general fund balance. The next slide will articulate how this affects our overall fund balance ending fiscal year 23. So fiscal year 23 started with the beginning fund balance of $46.7 million, which is inclusive of all our designated reserves. We then account for our total revenues received, which includes accounting adjustments as well as our transfers in, totaling a little under $139 million. We then consider our operating expenditures, transfers out, and adjustments for a total expenditure of $161.4 million, which leaves us with a general fund balance of almost $24.3 million at the end of fiscal year 23. After accounting for designations impacting the fund balance at the end of the year, which includes $1.7 million for purchase order carryover items and continuing appropriations, and $22.5 million set aside per our reserve policy, the general fund had an unrestricted reserve balance of approximately $11,000 ending fiscal year 23. Jumping forward, I'd like to just take a look at fiscal year 25 budget year timeline. This month, many departments have met with cities, the city's executive team and finance staff to discuss budget needs for fiscal year 25, and meetings will continue through this next week. In March, Council's first strategic planning session is scheduled to take place on the 11th, and the budget study session focusing on the general fund is scheduled for the 21st. This will be followed by the second budget study session in April, focusing on the capital improvement program, and the second strategic planning session to take place on the 30th. In May, the preliminary budget will be brought forward to Council at one of the regular City Council meetings. And finally, in June, we'll bring forward the budget adoption for Council consideration, tentatively scheduled for the 11th regular City Council meeting. This concludes my presentation. I'm available as well as our Finance Director, Trey Nguyen, to address any questions that you may have. Great, thank you very much for that presentation. Any Council members have any comments or questions? Councilmember Bilodeau. Uh, yeah, I have a question. If you can go back a couple slides, potentially. Right there. So, um, <coughs> obviously, the thing that jumps out is the transfers out ARPA, the $23 million. And I know what ARPA is. That was the COVID recovery money that we received from the feds. So, is this just to recognize the fact that we received the money and then spent it, and it's a one-time... <clears throat> Uh, infusion of money that we receive from the federal government, the American Rescue Plan Plan yeah. Act. Yes, that's correct. So the, that is money that we received, and we then put back towards our capital funds, which we had pulled from um, during that time. So it was used to replenish those funds. Okay, because you know, on its face, when you see this, it looks kind of disturbing. But mm -hmm. I recognize it was a it was a one time situation. Correct. And accounting wise, you just have to account for it, right? I'm not missing anything. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Great question. Uh, anyone else? 
Mayor Pro Tem. <clears throat> I, I just wanted to build on that same question. So uh, with where we came um, last year for the when we got to budgeting and we were looking at a $6 million deficit, and part of what we learned at that time going through that, that, that were, some of those things were structural in nature in terms of how we need to be looking at things going forward. Um, do any of the, is all of that strictly just related to ARPA? Because it's just with other, it's the total transfer was 24,000 or 24 million, was it not? Um, it's a little confusing. Yeah, so the transfers out of general fund um, is a little closer to the 23 million. Part of that was the ARPA funds that we received that we put back towards our capital funds. And then some of that was just our operating. We needed to fund the other funds that are funding things like um, workers' comp, liability, or EMT transport. So there were some adjustments that were not related to the ARPA money. But some of what the ARPA money we funded to put back into the reserves are ongoing activities, are they not? Yes. Do you, can you tell me which ones those are, what those are? So, like, for example, one, it funded capital in our IT capital. Okay. Um, and we do have ongoing projects within those funds. So those funds are being utilized to fund those projects moving forward. And what about things like um, I, the, um, the hub? Uh, that's an ongoing activity right now at this point, is it not? Uh, yes, we are not. I, we weren't funding those out of our transfers. Um, right now, we're funding those out. I think a variety of sources. Trang, do you have more specifics on the funding? Um, I believe the hub is being funded by grants that we received, the home art grants, and also the additional three million that we were able to secure this year. So yes, the ARPA money is not funding the hub. Yeah. Is there anything else in there that's ongoing that isn't covered? I'm just looking for other things that we just need to be aware of, so we're not surprised later. Um, the ongoing, we'll definitely need to look at our, as we move into this next budget, we'll need to look at our equipment replacement fund. We will need to look at those capital funds to make sure that they're sustainable for the things that we need in the future. Okay. Um, but uh, for, for the purposes of fiscal year 23, most of that money was just kind of used to replenish those funds. Okay. Um, and then continue with, like I said, some of those were operating um, like our workers' comp and our EMT transport. Okay. And this already takes into consideration, like, the negotiations we went through with our bargaining units this year and from last year where we funded additional um, safe public safety positions. Well, this is just to report out what actually happened in fiscal year 23. Mm -hmm. So in 23, negotiate none of that increase was in that fiscal <coughs> year. So you're going to see those increases for the MOU in 24. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> Councilmember Gillenhammer. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Mm -hmm. um, question on the same topic, just for my clarification, that $23 million, how much of that was actual expenditure last year versus just moving to another um, fund balance? I think the majority of the transfer was to reimburse all of the other fund that the general fund have pulled from during um, COVID time. So once we received the funding from the federal with, through APA, we try to replenish as much of the fund that we borrowed during those years as possible. 
Um, there's a small portion for operating, like um, Michelle have mentioned, for like workers' comp, for general liability <clears throat> fund. There are a small portion of it, but I think the majority of it was to replenish what we borrowed. Copy that. Yeah, that, that would be the difference between whether or not we ran a surplus <clears throat> or a deficit, just understanding that amount. And then my, my second question is just interested in the, the fuel revenue component. We've seen that that is coming down with the adoption of EVs. What did we see last year to the year prior to that in terms of fuel revenue? Uh, we did see that, I mean, this is specifically focusing on fiscal year 23, but I do know that in fiscal year 22, it was slightly higher because of the price of fuel. So I know that it went down in 23. I don't have specific numbers, but I could share that with you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? Okay, seeing none, uh, we don't need to uh, receive and file, okay? All right, thank you, staff, very much. Very informative. <clears throat> City manager, anything else? No, sir. All right. Okay, then we'll move on to uh, our public hearing, item 10.1, public hearing to consider an appeal of Planning Commission approval of conditional use permit number 3210-23 for a new church and coffee house at 611 West Chapman Avenue and finding of CEQA exemption. <clears throat> and I'm sure we'd like a, a, a staff report. <coughs> Good evening, Mayor and members of the City Council. My name is Ani Manatsakanyan, Associate Historic Preservation Planner. The application before you this evening is an appeal of Planning Commission's approval of a project on December 4, 2023. The applicant, Cedar House, is requesting to operate a church with classes and community enrichment activities in association with the coffee house with amplified music at 611 West Chapman Avenue. The Planning Commission approval was appealed to the City Council based on the following concerns. Noise impact, traffic impact, waste management and an emergency exit plan, and design. The property is located in Old Town and the Santa Fe Depot specific plan. The coffee shop is permitted by right. However, providing worship services requires a CUP for churches. Assembly Bill 2097 does not allow a public agency to impose any minimum parking requirements on any residential, commercial, or other development project if it is located within half a mile of public transit. The property is located one block west from the Metrolink station. However, staff has included conditions of approval to mitigate the potential of parking, transportation, and noise impacts. <clears throat> per the Orange Municipal Code, this project is not subject to review by the Design Review Committee. However, the proposed removal of the parking spots and improvements to the front setback are reviewed by staff through a minor Design Review application, which would be done after Council's review of the project. Building and fire staff conducted a preliminary review and found no general concerns with the proposed use and occupancy of the business, which will be more thoroughly reviewed during the plan check process. In addition, the applicant is coordinating with Public Works to meet the current requirements for waste management. The applicant and appellant are present today should you have any questions. Thank you. Thank you very much. So before we open the public hearing, does staff have any questions? I'm sorry, does council have any questions of staff? <clears throat> Any questions of staff? Mm -hmm. 
All right. Um, so the way this is going to uh, <clears throat> work this evening is first uh, the appellant, I didn't know is that Mr. Bolt, will uh, speak. Then uh, we'll hear from the applicant, and then we'll have um, public speakers. Uh, both the appellant and the applicant do not have any time limits. The speakers will be three minutes after that. So first call <clears throat> for the appellant, um, Mr. Scott Bolt. Good evening, my name is Scott Bolt, and I have appealed this project. Um, largely, it states that the key issue for the requested CUP is consideration of the manner in which activities involving 40 to 80 participants will be accommodated and as to not impact the adjacent residential and commercial uses. My stance is that this level of occupancy will have a negative impact on the neighborhood and the adjacent and adjacent properties. Our primary concerns, as mentioned, are noise, traffic, and also the handling of ingress, egress, deliveries of running a commercial business and waste management. Uh, the noise impact, we feel the, the project deserves a, a noise impact study, determine magnitude of the noise and decibel readings, perhaps proposing um, building products that would implement, that could be implemented to mitigate sound that could be disturbing to surrounding properties. We'd also like to propose um, really just a compromise of uh, smaller attendance, smaller occupancy levels. Um, the CUP is requesting 40 to 80. We feel that um, closer to 24 um, occupants at any given time would be adequate and no amplification of instruments or microphones to be used. Some of the negative traffic impacts that are concerned are delivery of the consumable items for the coffee shop and also the management of the waste of having uh, these larger gatherings, um, perhaps multiple pickups of uh, debris, also on ingress and egress from the building. Parking in the front is being removed, which would drive a significant amount of traffic through the alleyway directly behind uh, the property, which is very narrow and already congested. Some of the issues that we have at hand um, are related to the number of frequencies of events. Um, there's proposed coffee shop hours are Monday through Sunday with a revolving customer base of maybe up to 20 people, which seems acceptable. Uh, there's also a counseling and prayer appointments that are scheduled to happen Monday through Saturday between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m., five to six people, which seems very acceptable. The leadership meetings would be held Every Wednesday, or I'm sorry, once a month on a Wednesday, up to 20 people seems like an acceptable a number of people, as well as board meetings, um, one Tuesday a month, around 15 people. Where we have issue is these Friday night gatherings that are estimated to be between 40 and 80 participants, where the uh, amplified or semi-amplified music is proposed to be conducted. Also, there is a two-day intensive workshop that will be held multiple times, four times per year, which they're predicting on Fridays and Saturdays of having up to 50 people present, plus a movie night once a month on a Saturday for kids, 40 individuals. Not really sure where that's going to take place, indoor or outdoor, and if that's 40 kids that are non-driving that would then require 
additional traffic for pickup and drop off that would impact Parker, Pixley and <clears throat> streets as well as the alley behind. And then another major event is a marriage enrichment which is going to be held four Wednesdays in a row twice a year with participation of 40 individuals. So these items where we're getting larger groups that exceed you know, 40 plus people seem to have a large impact on the community. Um, regardless of the amplification of music, just having 80 people talking in a outdoor slash indoor setting, a noise is gonna travel extremely far. There's some two-story buildings directly behind the property, which would also be impacted by that noise probably even more. So purpose for appealing this project is not necessarily to have the project rejected, but to find some level of compromise that would be acceptable. I met with Pete Shambrook, who is the pastor of Cedar House. We discussed, he's, you know, the hard, difficult thing about coming up here is Pete's a very nice guy. He's a very likable guy. I enjoyed meeting with him, talking to him. Just have an issue when it comes to the number of people. I think anyone who lives on a street where there's a reoccurring event of 80 people would not be happy, regardless of the purpose of the event. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Mr. Bolt. <clears throat> so next we'll hear from uh, the applicant, uh, Peter Shambrook. Where's one, actually? <laughs> uh, thank you so much for hearing us tonight, uh, council members. And I just want to also just say thank you to the city, to Anna, to Arnie and their staff. They've been incredible through this process and uh, very responsive to, uh, to the, the process. So thank you. Uh, a little bit about us, because I think the context is really important here. Uh, we have been residents of Orange for over nine years. Uh, I've been pastoring in Orange County for approximately 27 years of which the last 13 of those have been in the city of Orange. Uh, we uh, met at Orange High School for seven years. And uh, in our tenure there, we uh, initiated a mentoring program with the high school kids, uh, for, with not only our congregation, but also some other congregations as well. Uh, we raised money to, uh, to, uh, um, to restore or to renew the, the, uh, the teacher's lounge. Uh, which was completely dilapidated, putting in a new kitchen. Uh, we do. We did also did teacher appreciations. So uh, all that to say is that wherever we go, uh, we want to be investing in the community. We don't just want to be in the community. We want, want to be investing in the community. Uh, I've also uh, had the honour uh, of serving as OPD chaplain for the last six years. Uh, when we uh, came before the Planning Commission uh, for our CUP, we knew that parking would be an issue uh, for the neighbours. And even though uh, we had AB 2097 on our side, we, we actually came with solutions uh, because uh, we want to be good neighbours, uh, all of which are indicated in the conditions of use. At uh, one point, one of the neighbours actually asked uh, whether we would support um, permitted parking on the street. And we just basically turned around impromptu and said, yes, we would, we would actually support that um, because that's, that's good for the neighbourhood. Um, after the appeal had been initiated, yeah, I, I called uh, Mr Bolt and uh, we met at the house. And as he said, it was a very pleasant meeting. 
And Scott, that says a lot about you. Uh, thanks for just connecting with that. Being relational in this, I think, is really important because it felt very unrelational. And so that was great, just connecting with Scott over that. Uh, my wife uh, is a marriage and family therapist, and together we lead Cedar House along with an amazing group of people here in the city of Orange. We are a 501c3 church, a house of worship. And although we do not operate a traditional church, meaning that we don't do a Sunday morning service, uh, we don't have family ministries, which is, that's a lot of people. Uh, so it's not a traditional church. And I think that's difficult sometimes to put us in a, in a box. Uh, many uh, can, people consider uh, Cedar House as their church. Exactly 10 months ago to this day, uh, in 2023, we purchased uh, 611 West Chapman. Uh, we have worked with architects and engineers, the city planning and the county health department. Uh, by trade, I'm a carpenter and I was in construction for many years. And to have the opportunity, to be honest, to preserve uh, the historicity of this building uh, and put it to good use is a priority of ours. Uh, it's going to be absolutely beautiful. So we have um, had this vision for many years, and we wanted to have a space outside of the church walls because we know many people will not enter a church. And we started Cedar House about four years ago. We've been meeting in homes and churches and backyards and warehouses and just kind of piecing together um, our ministry. And just real quick, a little bit about Cedar House. We have a real focus on emotional healing, um, we've just, especially since 2020, have just seen an uprise in young people, especially with um, anxiety and depression and just struggling with so many things. And one of the things Scott had mentioned, we put on these intensive weekends where um, we have just found people really experiencing freedom from addictive behavior, um, just struggling relationships, anxiety, and unwanted behavior. So we meet individuals that want individual, um, more extensive prayer and have seen God do so much through these sessions. We meet every Friday evening for a night of worship, teaching, and prayer. And we've gotten to witness, you'll hear from some people, just under, they come into an understanding really of who they were created to be and just knowing the love of Christ, being loved by the people um, that are there, and we've just seen so much change in the process. Um, we always knew we wanted to have a coffee house, too, to go with this because we wanted to be in the community. We didn't want to just be a church, you know, isolated. We wanted to have something where the community could come in, we could be with them, get to know them, meet their needs. Um, and we know that there's a deep concern with Cedar House coming to your area, and we just truly want to make this a good experience for our neighborhood. Um, one important side note is our understanding is uh, because of OTMU zoning, the coffee house is permitted by right in um, and of itself without a CUP. So we just want to address real, very quickly um, the, the appellant's points. Uh, the negative noise impact, uh, that was the first one. And we'd like to state that there have been a couple of businesses, uh, the Grand Gamino uh, and the Richland, that are in the historical district and adjacent to residential homes that have not been required to do what the appellant is asking of us in regards to sound. 
And we would just ask that our CUP would be reasonable and, and not excessively restrictive in relation to any other CUPs that have been approved. Um, as far as we know, there are no other conditions of use of comparable businesses or houses of worship that even come close to what is being asked of us in the original CUP, uh, let alone uh, what the appellant is asking for. Uh, we are simply asking for what is reasonable and consistent with other comparable CUPs. Uh, the second thing was a request of, uh, for noise study. Uh, I would just say that we will abide by the Orange Municipal Code um, 8.24 and not detrimentally affect adjacent um, land or create special problems in the area. Uh, the request for soundproofing, uh, Scott and I walked through the, through the, uh, the house and uh, we, uh, the appellant was saying that we're 20 feet, 20 to 30 feet from the, the first house, the closest <coughs> house. Uh, that's our property line. The back of the house is actually closer to 60 to 80 feet from the closest house, um, of which uh, we will be meeting in the house. And at the back of the house are ADA bathrooms and a prayer room. So you have at least a six and a half foot to 15 foot buffer between where we meet and the back of the house. And the back of the house is another 60 to 80 feet from the first home. And the windows. Uh, and also the windows are double, double glazed as well. Uh, where are we at, babe? <laughs> uh, the request to lower the number of the people in the building um, to 24 people. Uh, we are currently working with the city and the fire department prior to approval of permits to determine the number of occupancy for the space according to what is permitted. Uh, the appellant asking for no microphones or amplification. Again, our intention is to adhere to the Orange Municipal Code uh, on that, but uh, not be restricted in ways that other comparable businesses or ministries are not restricted. And I believe some of the concerns that I'm about to address um, from the appellant are connected to the coffee house and not the religious gatherings. So it's our understanding that the coffee house is not part of the CUP and permitted um, by right of Old Town mixed use zoning. Um, the negative traffic impact, um, requesting delivery schedule to be evaluated and traffic report for vendor delivery. Um, all deliveries for coffee house um, are for the coffee house only, which do not fall, fall under the CUP, uh, requesting pedestrian impact report for the alley. Other than minimal coffee deliveries, all entry will be through the front door. We will not be entering through the back or in the alley. Um, the front of the house faces Chapman and neighbors on either side are commercial and uh, requesting ADA to be evaluated. Again, we've been talking with the city and this is part of the process, um, planning with the city according to ADA code and even AB 2097. And the last three points, very quickly, uh, requesting waste management study. Uh, we will abide by all waste management rules and regulations. Um, I spoke with some coffee houses locally, particularly a very popular one, asking what their waste disposal was per week. And they have a dumpster. Uh, and he said, we probably fill the dumpster maybe two-thirds to three-quarters. So we're anticipating there will be one pickup a week. That's what we're anticipating uh, of, of trash um, through, the, through that entrance, through the rear entrance. Uh, what I want, want to make clear is, uh, with regards to the impact on water and sewer as well, there are multiple businesses and restaurants in the immediate vicinity that I believe were not subject to impact studies like that. Um, they may have been, I'm not sure. But um, what I want to make clear is that we are not a commercially commercial uh, restaurant facility, uh, as the appellant implied. 
the coffee house will serve coffee, coffee and minimal baked goods with no cooking taking place. And that was part of the, uh, uh, the, the county uh, health department as well. But there is no kitchen at all that's connected to the, to the coffee house. Um, the request and plan for renewable energy and solar power was another point. Uh, I've consulted with city staff on this and it was indicated to me that there is no law that requires us to have solar power or renewable energy, uh, though those are both good things. Um, requesting emergency exit plan and effects on the alley. Um, yes, this is part of the process that we're in with the city. Uh, and, uh, and finally, the design review, I think, as uh, Annie had said, uh, that the city addressed this in our prior meeting. Uh, as, your, as your staff uh, report says, the project is not subject to design review, committee approval or review. Uh, thank you so much for hearing us tonight and uh, we look forward to um, fielding any questions you might have. Thank you. Uh, if you could uh, yeah, please be seated, but yeah, stand by and uh, Mr. Bolt you know, may have questions as well. Okay, we'll continue. Uh, the public hearing uh, is open, and uh, each speaker uh, forward from this point is allowed th uh, three minutes. First speaker is Danny Kurame, followed by Ron Salinger. <coughs> Council members, um, my name is Danny Kurame, and I'm a resident of the city of Orange for the last 25 years, and I've also served as a pastor here in Orange. Um, I wanted to just speak on behalf of Pete and Patty Shembrook as friends and also co-laborers in the city and the ministry that they serve. Um, as pastors in the city, we often work collaboratively, and um, Cedar House has been a, a strategic partner in doing good in the city. One of the things I was reflecting on and um, my experience with the city of Orange goes back to Mayor Kuntz, and I remember as a young pastor hearing her speak of the importance of cities, uh, excuse me, of churches in our city and how churches uh, foster the kind of volunteerism in the community that we love. I've heard every mayor after say similar things as we stood together, uh, as I've been on a podium for an invocation and a mayor has addressed the, the city. My point in all this is to say, embedded in our faith is the imperative to be a better person in the community, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And I can speak on behalf of my friendship with this church and that that is the, the tone of the church, that's the desire of the church, and I think they're doing good in the city of Orange. Um, I also get to serve alongside of Pete as a police chaplain for the city of Orange, and so I've witnessed firsthand his commitment to our city, um, his care for our city, and that's reflected. Wherever, wherever the leader's at, you'll see the reflection in the people, and, um, and so I just want to say on behalf of them, I think it's a, a good idea to have them in our city. And I would urge you to um, grant them their conditional use permit. Thank you. Thank you. Ron Salinger to be followed by Tori Kynes. Hello, good evening. Uh, my name is Ron Salinger. I live over on Jamison Street, right down the street from uh, Pastor Pete and Patty. And uh, we've known them now for about three years. And when we initially met them, uh, it was actually through uh, one of the events there, uh, or, you know, a gathering, and uh, I hadn't ever seen a church, a home church before, and I thought it was unusual, and uh, I, I, I was a little apprehensive, too, like Mr. Holt was, that I thought it was going to bring some problems into the neighborhood and everything, and it was the exact opposite. It really was. Uh, I saw it as a bright spot in the neighborhood, 
and my wife Heather and my little son Sawyer Finn, we became we just we 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 really love Patty and Pete and what they brought into the community and the neighborhood itself has just you know it's much better. You know when we moved in there, it was just you know we bought this duplex and. Uh, we were living in the back unit, and you know there were a lot of struggles that we had, and it was just it was wonderful to have Pete and Patty come by, and just say hello and ask how we were doing and everything. And I can't I can't think of better neighbors than what we've had over there on Jamison Street with uh, Pete and Patty and the whole organization uh, Cedar House. Uh, if there were any concerns with um, over there on the Chapman uh, house that they bought, I would encourage. Uh, any neighbors, uh, Mr. Bull, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about anything, any questions that you may have regarding the sound or anything. We've never been disturbed, you know, <clears throat> with sound ordinances or anything like that. It's just been, uh, it's been a delight. It really has. And uh, I can't think of uh, uh, a better organization to open up a coffee house in Cedar House. Plus, there'll be a competition for Starbucks, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Tori, followed by Kylie Simonton. Good evening, Mayor and Council. My name is Tori, and um, I've been a resident of Orange and actually another one of the Shambrook's neighbors for a number of years. Um, and I just want to say that they are the kindest and most respectful of neighbors. Um, but it's also at Cedar House um, that I have found a big part of the community which has caused me to thrive in my life, which is what I want to speak to today. Um, I work as a worship pastor at Friends Church, and ministry is hard. Doing the work of the kingdom is hard, and it, it honestly, in my life, I have learned that it is harder to do it alone. Um, and as someone who didn't grow up in this area, I moved down to Southern California um, about 10 years ago. I understand how awful it is to do life alone and apart from community and how difficult it is to find consistent community in an area that you did not grow up in. And with Orange being a um, town that is full of many college students, I wouldn't be shocked if there were other young adults such as myself who share that same experience. Um, but it is the community at Cedar House that has provided me with a space of continual support and encouragement that allows me to thrive in my workplace in life. So with the knowledge of what it is to experience loneliness as a young adult, I am so excited for Cedar House in this new space and for the city of Orange and the people of Orange to share my same experience. Thank you, Tori. Kylie, followed by Janelle Sherrod. <clears throat> Hello, Mr. Mayor, Council. It's always a privilege to be with you guys. Um, I am a resident of Orange, have lived here for the last eight years, and have seen the direct impact that Cedar House has had. Um, but I want to speak on behalf of the nonprofit I work for. Um, so I work for the Hub Resource Center, and the community of Cedar House serves regularly on our site, has great impact. Um, we have volunteers come weekly who invest their time, their talents, their giftings to enhance um, our program every week. And without Cedar House and their great character of volunteers, um, our program would not be thriving the way that it is. And so I just want to speak to the truth that they are for the city and they are for um, what the city is about. And so. I get to experience it on a weekly basis. So thank you. Thank you. Janelle, followed by Jeff Sherrod. 
Thank you. Good evening. I have been a resident of Orange for 22 years, and I am here to speak on behalf of Cedar House. I have been going to Cedar House for about a year, but I've known Pete and Patty Shamber for 27 years. They led the college group at the church I attended many years ago. I also attended the church that they pastored at Orange High, and I can attest to their heart to be a good neighbor and bless the community around them. I can attest to their character, love, and care, and concern for everyone they meet. They are people of integrity and have been a faithful presence in the city of Orange for many years. Specifically concerning Cedar House, this ministry has brought hope and healing into many areas of my life. I was battling grief and stress for many years. Over the past year of attending weekly meetings, prayer sessions, and the conference put on through Cedar House, I was taught tools in how to live in greater freedom, inviting, inviting God to heal and redeem parts of my life, along with tools in forgiveness and living in hope that has brought freedom to my life. I believe that Cedar House will be an asset to the city of Orange, and this ministry will have a positive impact on our city. Thank you. Thank you. Jeff, followed by Jeff Stingley. Good evening. Uh, yeah, I'm Jeff Sherrod. You saw my better half, so that's good stuff that she got to go first. Um, all of the things that she said, but I've been, we've been residents of Orange for 22 years. Um, we've known Pete and Patty for over 27 years. Um, they've married us even. And so uh, they're near and dear to our hearts. Uh, they're near and dear to our community. When we first heard that they were moving up to our community of Orange, we were ecstatic because we knew that they would add so much to this community that we already love. I mean, we have a great community already but it's better with the people that come into it and tend to look outwards towards the community. So um, since attending Cedar House over the past year on a consistent basis, uh, we've been able to find so much freedom. Uh, my wife even said the same things, anxiety, bouts of hopelessness, um, you know, everything that's happened since 2020. Um, it's just, there's just been a healing time that's put on um, through Cedar House because Something that we've been thinking about over the uh, past couple of months or so is that if we had churches or church-like organizations within the city of Orange that instead of looking inward, looked outward towards the city, then they would be a help and a resource to our city and to the people. They provide hope and compassion and all of the things that we're looking for instead of looking inward. Cedar House is an outward organization. They love to affect the community that they are in, but they affect it in a positive way. So I don't see any negative for them being in the community, and I would personally love it if Pete moved into my neighborhood because he's a great carpenter. Um, one other thing is that uh, Pete, back in the day when I was in college, uh, in the college group with him, uh, you, he used to call me the glue that held the group together. I just thought of that tonight. And it's really interesting, though, that, that he's the glue that holds the Cedar House community together. Obviously, you know, under God and all of that, but him and Patty are the ones that keep everything going and keep the people moving, moving forward in emotional health and being able to overcome fears or anything that's been pushing down on them. And so they're the ones that are actually holding everybody together to make the city of Orange a better place. Thank you. Jeff Stingley, followed by Dane Shambrook. <clears throat> if the next speaker wants to come up to the front row and be ready to go, that, that would be helpful. Good evening. I'm going to go to the Bible for a verse and kind of give you some context of what, what I see in Cedar House. In Psalm 145, it talks about one generation speaking to another generation about God's great deeds and his mighty acts. 
And that's kind of what happens at Cedar House. It's a multi-generational group of people that are declaring to each other what God's doing in their lives and very often encouraging each other to do more of those things. And ironically, it's in the community of Orange where that happens. Um, one example of kind of how it works for, how it works for me regularly, um, I had a guy text me last week, text me back last week, and I've been kind of after him because he kind of fell, fell off my radar for a month or so and I haven't seen him. And he texted me last week and he said, pray for me. I'm going back to my old ways. And his old ways weren't good. Um, just use your imagination. And I got to speak truth into that. It's, it's, I said, no, those aren't your ways. Those are the old ways, but they're not your old ways. So bringing him back to, to the truth of you are not that anymore, but, and then this is who you are, speaking to him and who he is in Christ and bringing him back to the, the realization of who he was. And he's back on that track again in you know, not perfect ways, but that's what we do. That's what we do as a community. That's what we do for each other. And that's what we do for people that, that God puts in our, on our radar, let's say. So that kind of community, this, the city of Orange needs 10 cedar houses that will transform the city of Orange. Just listening to what you guys listen to every city council meeting is crazy. Those problems will not be solved by budgets and people and more programs. They'll be solved by a power that's not from this world. I can sit here and tell you to believe that, but when you put cedar houses in your community, you'll see it, because that's what we believe. So thank you, and I'm just advocating for just reasonable limits that you put on other people to put it on us too. <clears throat> we need cedar houses in our community. Thank you, uh, next is Dane Shambrick, followed by Ruth Stingley. Thank you, Mayor and Council members. Honored to be here. Um, I, I'm just here on behalf of, of, of Cedar House and Pete and Patty Shambrook as just people who are, um, like so many have said before, a upstanding uh, couple in this community that really comes alongside people in, in a way of, of like multi-generationally. Um, from people my age and younger and older, um, I love coming to Cedar House, um, specifically seeing people in places where they're dealing with depression and anxiety and hopelessness and, and a lot of mental you know, health issues that are so prominent in the city and coming into this place in an, in an environment that, that has people coming alongside them and loving them where they are and seeing them and hearing them and, and, and pouring that attention into those areas where there is hopelessness and walking them through the process where there can be healing and wholeness and renewal. And I've seen countless times people coming in initially in that place and leaving completely changed and transformed. So I, I, I see Cedar House as a place of, of healing and, and something that would be a tremendous asset 
to this community in Orange as a place of, of refuge. And so um, they, they have my full support and I just, I look forward to seeing the ways that that influence continues to expand in this city and the way it impacts it. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Ruth Stingley, followed by Joel Whittington. <clears throat> Hi, Mayor, Council members. My name is Ruth Stingley. I probably, of all the people who've come up, have lived here the longest. I've been in Orange since 1978, um, except for a little stint for a couple of years teaching at Lutheran High School in Springfield, Illinois, um, and maybe a couple of apartments in Tustin and Santa Ana before marriage. Um, I could say so much, but you've heard a lot of it already. I mean, my husband and I have the privilege of being able to do prayer appointments with people, and we have seen what you've heard. We've seen people all ages, young, old, middle-aged, um, have freedom to know who they truly are from anxiety, from depression, from regret, from traumas, all things that impact us all. And I wanted to say the next was, but you've heard it already, that Pete and Patty, I've helped out in many, many different organizations and volunteered from Ronald McDonald House in Orange to many other ones. And Pete and Patty are the real deal. They're the people who are kind, who are considerate, who listen. And I can't even imagine what 611 West Chapman is going to look like because they make things beautiful. And I can't wait until the neighborhood sees how beautiful 611 West Chapman will be. But more than anything else is prayer. That's where our heart is as Cedar House and mine personally. And a couple months ago, we got to meet some of the neighbors um, under obviously not the best circumstances, but since then I've been praying for them, for the chalk doctor and her children just that she would have good sleep. I've been praying for the chef down the street in his business, been praying for Jeremy, who we got to meet afterwards, for this beautiful lady here who has got so much passion and such a sense of justice, even in the middle of the night. That's why I brought up this book here, because if anyone wants prayer, if you can come to us and ask us, we will commit to praying. And actually, before we even came here tonight, we met as a team at 611 West Chapman, and we prayed specifically for the neighbors. We prayed that they would prosper, that it would be a blessing that would go beyond the walls. It would be go to the city. And so even if any of you need prayer, it is our privilege and our delight to pray for you. And that means even in the middle of hours when the Lord wakes us up. Thank you. Uh, Joel Whittington, followed by Chris Key. Can we do something a little unorthodox here, Mayor? Uh, can we just say that uh, there are many more people who want to share, but we want to respect your time. Uh, would it be helpful if we just ended here and just say that there are many more people who want to share rather than hear each individual person? That would be fine. Is that okay? <clears throat> okay. Thanks, John. As long as no one feels that they didn't get to speak. So. <clears throat> yeah, my name is Joel Whittington. I've been living in Orange for about three years. And I just wanted to say that I really love Cedar House. Like, Pete and Patty are truly awesome. They've really helped me grow in my relationship with Jesus and my faith. Like, they've really strengthened me and <clears throat> given me the tools I need. Like, I work with some youth in Orange with Young Life One in North Orange County. And yeah, it's just been a really good resource for me just to get prayer when I need it and everything. And 
Yeah, it's helped me heal from some of my deep emotional wounds from my past, from, you know, bad parents and all that. And yeah, I just love the community there. Everyone's just amazing people. You know, I even got to meet my soon-to-be wife there. And yeah, I just thank God so much for being Patty. And I'm sure God will continue to bless them and bless the neighborhood they're in. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to call a quick recess um, <clears throat> so people can use the restroom. So when we get back, I'm going to uh, go through the list of all the people who have asked to speak to make sure that uh, there's no one on the uh, uh, appellant side that wants to speak. So uh, call a quick 10-minute break. <clears throat> Please take your seats. <clears throat> That's awesome. Okay, we're going to continue the public hearing. I'm going to call off all the names that I have. If you uh, would still like to speak, uh, please um, speak up, and we'll have you come up front. Uh, first is Chris Key. Okay. Uh, yeah, just let me know if you wish to speak. Uh, Joel Kurame. Uh, I'm in favor of Cedar House. Okay. Thank you. Uh, John Mark Rivera. I'm in favor of going to speak. Okay. James Chadwick. Yes, I'd like to speak. Come on forward. Good evening, Mayor and Council members. Um, my great-grandparents moved here. A little bit about me. After the war, bought a house, uh, 145 North Parker Street, right by uh, 611 West Chapman. They had a bunch of kids. My grandmother, she lived in that house her whole life. My dad, he lived there for a long time, bought the house from them. And here I am, 26 years old, lived there my whole life. So I know the community pretty well. Um, Pat, neighbor, I know all these people. I have no doubt that Cedar House is a great organization, great people, um, you know, religion, that's, that's all great. This is about the sound, and I think that it, it, it's loud. You know, I, I, I live there, it's quiet. You know, the walls in orange are super thin. I think everybody knows that if you live here. It doesn't really matter what house you live in, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty thin. So I, I just think that 80 people is is a lot, you know, especially every Friday night. I, I like the peace and quiet. I'm 26, but I feel old already, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I, I, I don't live there anymore. I just moved recently, but I'm here to speak on behalf of the neighbors, my father, grandparents, you know, the house, the neighborhood. Uh, so I just urge everybody to think about that. If you were to live in that neighborhood and experience that noise, religious or not, it doesn't matter. But to me, it's the noise. It's, it's a huge thing. I, I, <laughs> I love the peace and quiet. So I just urge for some sort of compromise or, or, or anything along those lines. I'm not asking you to shut it down. I'm not saying, oh, these, these are bad people. I think, I think everything's fine. And these are great people. And everybody in the community is great. And we would welcome them happily. I would love to meet them all. I just ask for some compromise. And I uh, urge you to think about a compromise or, or uh, the decision. That's it. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Todd Brewster. Yes, I'd like to speak. 
Okay. Hi, Mayor, Council people, thank you. Um, yeah, echoing echoing what was said, you know, they, they have come with an endless list of positive character references. That's not at all what we're questioning. They sound like great people. Uh, as somebody who lives in that alleyway and deals with the noise that's there now and the traffic that's in that neighborhood now, um, that is the concern. And I wanted to express my concerns regarding the impact that that project may have on my quality of life. Uh, living as close as we do to the proposed ministry, Fearing that the noise and the increased traffic generated by its activities could greatly disrupt the peace and quiet uh, and the tranquility of the neighborhood. Uh, home is meant to be a place of peace and quiet. It's a place where my family and I unwind after long days at work. It's a place that we seek out for peace and quiet. Uh, and this project and the potential of the increased traffic and the increased noise has me anxious about the future. Uh, it has me worried about what life is going to be like with something like that there. Um, understanding the importance of the initiatives that they set up to achieve, they sound great. Uh, you know, it's, it's really more prioritizing the well-being and the comfort of those who are directly impacted. And so I do implore you to take a look at this, see if there's, like we mentioned, concessions that could be made, uh, exploring the negative impacts that this could have on the neighbors who live right there and will have to deal with this each and every day. So thank you for your time. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Ginger Comrade. <clears throat> Mayor Dan, council members, um, I'm Ginger Conrad, uh, born and bred in the city of Orange, and um, I'm in a community now on Pixley and Parker, like we're all close. We get together, you know, very often, um, and everyone knows each other, and uh, we're just really tight. Um, so I just wanted to express, you know, the same feelings that Scott and James and Todd have um, discussed, which you'll, you're, you'll hear from Pat as well, um, in that it has nothing to do with the business that's going in, but it has all to do with the noise and the traffic. Um, and I know that um, parking, you know, will be an issue no matter how much they are going to try and you know, mitigate that and, and have people park over at the train station. But um, I share a parking strip with my neighbor, um, a renter, whereas I own. So, um, you know, it's already very difficult to park. Um, we already have, you know, so much traffic going down our street from the train station and whatnot. So, um, you know, I think the message that I really want to get across most of all, though, is that you know, I'm in support of our community and our little neighborhood. And, you know, as Todd so eloquently said um, before me, you know, we, we're just tight. And, you know, we appreciate the, you know, the familiarity and everything else that we have. And I just want to support everyone in our little community that we have. Thank you. Next, uh, Anna Palma. <clears throat> Hi, I've been a resident of Orange since the mid-80s, um, so I've experienced different little parts of the neighborhood around the city of Orange. Um, I am worried only about, like they said, the noise control. Um, there's other houses on Chapman 
that have issues with noise control on the weekend, which I can hear clearly to my house. Um, the community is changing with the university that has moved in. Um, there's a lot of foot traffic with just the kids from the university when they have their events at the, at the houses that are on, on Chapman. Um, I hope that this new, you know, church and coffee house doesn't have the noise that I already experienced with those houses on there. And then with the deliveries from other companies that are on Chapman that park on Parker, I'm worried there's gonna be more of that congesting the street along with the parking issue, which is just an issue all the way around. So it's just a concern. It has nothing to do with who they are as a business or a church. It has to do with how it's gonna affect my little neighborhood. And that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Pat Hetherington. Good evening. My name is Pat Hetherington. I live at 139 North Parker. I have been there for 45 years, a resident of Orange for 55 years. Uh, I've raised my three children there on North Parker Street. In fact, right now, my daughter lives on North Pixley Street right behind me with my grandchildren. So it's, this is going to affect my whole family. Um, we're small, a small residential street with single-family homes as well as some multifamily units. Um, but they're quiet streets. There's not a lot of traffic that goes through them because they end at Maple. Uh, the neighbors, we all know each other. We look out for one another. It's quiet, it's safe, and it's our home. Um, I'm here tonight with deep concerns regarding the decision to grant the conditional use permit to the Cedar House at 611 West Chapman. As outlined in the legislative document that accompanied the CUP request, the primary issue to be considered is how the activities involving 40 to 80 participants can be organized without negatively impacting the neighboring residential and commercial establishments. I do not agree with gatherings of this size with live music from 7 to 10 every single Friday night along with a variety of other scheduled meetings throughout the week and Saturday. Uh, this will have a negative impact on the quality of life in our quiet little neighborhood. The increased traffic of 40 to 80 people driving through the neighborhood will cause undue traffic and safety concerns for the residents that live here. I know that the Cedar House has stated that anyone attending the Greenhouse event, which I'm not sure what that is, but it's on a Friday night and Saturday, uh, Bill will be required to park at the train station or at the public lot. Uh, and the nighttime parking for the Friday night weekly event will be at this, the same, the, tration, the sta train station or Lemon Street. How are they going to enforce that, first of all? They, they can't. Um, I'm concerned that the alley behind 611 will be used for gatherings before and after the events. The closest resident, poor Todd, is 20 feet away. Um, additionally, uh, the additional vehicles using the alley for deliveries or drop-offs is a big concern for me as well, mainly for our children who travel between Pixley and Parker all day or on weekends. Um, I would like to express my strong opposition to granting this permit as it has the potential to disrupt the tranquility and quality of the life of the nearby residents. Um, this, the concerns raised by our residents are valid and should not be disregarded. Unfortunately, we have several residents tonight that were going to speak. They're all out sick and didn't want to share that with you. Um, they did send letters. I'm hoping that you got them all. Uh, Brian Tigui, Andrea Brooks, and Daniel Pulliam uh, were three of those people. So I trust that you received their letters. Again, nothing against 
the Cedar House. I, I haven't met them till tonight. They sound like nice people. I think their mission is great. I'm a Christian. I go to church. I just think this is too big for our street. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Abby Kurame. You're good? Okay. Uh, Kate Kurame. Okay, good. Karen Freeman. Hi, thank you. Um, uh, longtime resident of Orange, I live on Pixley. Um, uh, I don't disagree with the mission. I think, uh, you know, as a physician, it's very important to have additional services uh, beyond, you know, what the city can offer, uh, hospitals, et cetera. Um, I think, you know, I really echo Scott in this, that uh, the concerns are noise, traffic, um, and then even, you know, some capacity. I think what Pat said in terms of it really is just too big for the space. Um, the noise concerns, I have two young children, and the idea of, you know, noise on a Friday night just doesn't sound entertaining to me. Um, the alley concerns are huge. If you look at the south side uh, on the Pixley exit, you know, there's a dentist. The view is pretty great. But if you're walking from the north side, you can barely see anyone that is walking as a pedestrian versus coming out of the alley. Uh, you can't drop off on Chapman because you can't stop. So to me, if you're having kids or you're, you know, have people that can't make the walk, you're going to be going down the alley. And the concerns are really that that impact is not known, um, both from a noise standpoint and from a traffic standpoint. And then just 80 people in that space, they're gathering, I assume, on one level, uh, just based on, you know, my, my assumption. And it just seems like a huge number of people in a tiny space in the event of emergencies, in the event of people having to get out. I just, I can't believe that that is safe, so. Okay, thank you. Uh, Stephen Miller. Stephen may have left, okay. Uh, Mark uh, Maida. Okay, very well. That, uh, that ends the speaker, so we'll have a, give a chance for the applicant and both the applicant and the appellant to come back up for a chance uh, for rebuttal. We'll start with the applicant. Well, I think we established that Pete and Patty are fantastic people. Okay, well, did I get the applicant first? Oh, I'm sorry, I apologize. Does it matter? Yeah, let's have the applicant come forward first. Um, I think the first thing with the, I understand the concern with the alley, and but we will not be having any entrance into um, the building from the alley, and we will, I'm, we are not completely clear on how many deliveries, but it's, it is just strictly a coffee house. It's not a restaurant. And, um, and our understanding is the CUP is not for the coffee house. It's for just the religious gathering. Is that correct? 
Oh, maybe you can't say that. Um, yeah, so just speaking to that. And as far as, yes, the, the parking, we, uh, yes, we cannot guarantee, but again, I mean, we want to be completely sympathetic to um, being a good neighbor. Um, we, we know we don't have to provide parking according to the, the new state law, but we will have signs in the coffee house. We will, we're willing Social to media. do whatever we need to do to direct people and let them know. And I just think that you could hear the quality of some of the people that have come. They're, we are <laughs> anticipating that they will care about the neighbors and if we're having issues, we want them to talk to us and we'll do whatever we can to just say, I mean, the train station is a three minute walk. I, I don't think this is, we're not like a Starbucks, like it's a drive-through, grab a coffee. This is going to be a place that I think people sit and meet with people and they're not gonna mind walking a few minutes. Mm. And I think to Pat's point of, I think it was Pat, he, said, he, said, he talked about people gathering or somebody at the back. After the service uh, on a Friday night, uh, that will not be the case. Uh, the entrance and exit is the front on Chapman. Uh, there will not be gathering in the back after the after the service. So we're trying to mitigate that for the neighbours as well. Make sure we're we're caring for them. And we are always there. Our whole team is always present. So if there's any concerns, if there's anything that is happening like that, if people are going into the alley, we will absolutely be on it and make sure that that is not. A part of it where they're walking down Pixley or Parker that we're directing them straight down Chapman so that there isn't a noise issue and inside the house we will not be doing the music outside we'll have the window shut the door shut and be very well aware to keep the noise um, according to you know the laws and the yep. things that we are supposed to be doing all right good thank you thank you mr. Bolt you're up thank you so um, I think that, you know, we established that Pete and Patty are very wonderful people and the Cedar House is a wonderful organization. Um, one thing I'd like to note, though, is that everyone that got up to spoke, not one of them really mentioned the issues at hand that we've brought up. Um, we've established that there, uh, there's a need for Cedar House. We just feel like this is the wrong location due to the occupancy level and noise and traffic impacts like we had already mentioned. I think that there is a compromise um, I've talked to Pete about possibly hosting their Friday night events at another location, and maybe they can maintain everything else at that facility. Uh, didn't seem like that was going to be a viable option. They wanted to had an image of keeping everything under one roof and one establishment. So uh, when we left after having a long meeting, we both kind of came to the agreement that we just didn't see eye to eye on that one particular issue. So I'd urge the council to take that into consideration that um, what the community is going to experience and hopefully we can find a positive resolution. So thank you for your time, Steve. Thank you. So this being the first uh, appeal that I've uh, been through in a long, long time, um, just a procedural questions. Um, can the council ask uh, questions of the applicant or appellant? Okay. okay. And then in that case, we leave the public hearing open or close it. So you can, I, I think, Mayor, you can leave the public hearing open. I'd leave it open just out of the abundance of caution. Okay, great. Thank you. All right. Um, council members, do you have any questions of staff or the applicant or the appellant? 
Mayor Pro Tem Barrios. Yeah, I have a um, couple of questions um, for the applicant, actually, um, if you don't mind. Coming back up. So um, it's, I'm, I'm just trying to understand about the Friday night gathering. So, um, and it's interesting that you bring up the Grand Jamo earlier because I live right next to that. Mm -hmm. And it is very awful in terms of the noise. So I was really glad to see that the, the way the directions are right now in terms of acoustic music, if it was all acoustic there, I would be super happy. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the... Um, interesting things about Old Town is that, yes, our walls are thin, our windows are also real glass, and they are not, they're wood. So if it's not acoustic or if there's any deep bass or thumping, you will hear it. And so I think that's some of the questions about just how, like, what you envision. I'm assuming worship music is what yes. we're talking yeah. about, yeah. You know, yes. with, along with the gathering? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you already host these right now where you're, where you're currently at, right, mm -hmm. these yep. gatherings? Yes. So d is the number that we're talking about in terms of how many people attend, is that what you have right now, or is that the growth that you're expecting? Yeah. That sorry. would be an increase. An increase. Yeah. So, like, what is it right now? Um, I've never actually counted. <laughs> 30 40 people. Okay. Um, would you be at all open to maybe limiting it for the first year, just you know, not to that number, but maybe just a compromise with the neighbors for the first year, just so that everybody kind of eases into this process? I don't, I don't think we would. Okay. Um, with just the cost and everything, like, we, you know, we have been paying the mortgage for 10 months already. And moving, there is a whole purpose in moving into this space that we would have a bigger space to be able to do a Friday gathering and, and some of the, these things. So um, I don't think it would, it would, yeah, serve the purpose of what we're trying to do and why we are purchasing a space. Fair enough. I just thought I would ask no, if you would be willing to do 60 for the first year instead of the 80. Sure. Yep. Can I speak to the acoustic? Yep. So mm -hmm. I'm a musician uh, and... <laughs> Uh, and so is my son. The garage band killed my neighbor. Oh, no. so I totally yeah, the, get gar it. the garage band's yeah. a whole other yeah. deal. Yeah, that was me. wrong. Trust me. <laughs> oh, we've got one in our neighborhood. And, uh, <clears throat> but we've uh, uh, currently we uh, do primarily acoustic. It it is amplified. Mm -hmm. We have microphones. Okay. Um, it is acoustic guitars and electric guitar, but all vibey kind of music. It's not bumpy music. Uh, we're not having a, a bash there. Uh, there's no kegs, anything like that, okay? It's, uh, it's worship music. And so uh, it's a different style than maybe what you, what a lot, what you experience from a frat house, that's for sure. Um, so, and even that buffer uh, at the back of the house that I talked about earlier on, I think is a really important piece because that's what faces on to the neighbours. Nothing else does. The side windows and the front uh, or both commercial spaces on uh, either side of us and onto Chapman as well. The rear is buffered by those back rooms okay. uh, on top of uh, being a distance from there. Which is the difference between the Richland and the Grand Jamo. So the Grand Jamo is an old gym, and it's that second floor yeah. that gets the impact of, noise, of any kind of amplified mm. music. 
the Richland faces and the way anything would it faces to the parking lot across the street from them yeah. nothing it's everything else is covered from the back yes. huge yeah. difference yes, in how is. the sound yeah. travels yes and, exactly and the yeah. windows have been replaced I don't know if they were supposed to have been no they're they're before. totally wrong yeah so. because they don't look like they they're not original and they are double pane so even yeah, though that doesn't aluminum. go with the look of the home it I think will be very helpful someone did a bad noise. thing yeah, yeah. I'm sure it will be beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, that, though, that was my specific issue in terms of if we could reach a compromise just for the first year and then, you know, still knowing that you're going to grow and just by listening to your own story, having read the documents, listening to the people who are supporting you, I have no doubt that you will outgrow that pretty quick too. So it seems like you're on that trajectory. So it would just be something to talk about. Um, let's see, I had another specific question, but I think it has more to do with staff. So thank you really okay. very much. Don't, don't go away. I, yeah. Just for clarification, uh, do I understand that the instruments are not going to be amplified? You're just going to have microphones on the instruments? Or? No, the instruments are amplified okay. yes, within the house. And it's, uh, again, the, it's in relation to the size of the, of the room. We're not looking at, again, busting out windows here. It's, for us, it's, a, it's about relation to the room. We don't so. have drums or, like, yeah. It's a drum kit, yeah. Okay. Anyone else for the applicant? Yes, council member. Gillen Hammer. Uh, thank you. Um, I, first, I just want to say, I, Mr. Shambrook, I appreciate you all taking the opportunity to meet in advance of this. I think... Uh, I think that's important, and I um, and I think Mr. Bolt has uh, concerns that I think are genuine, um, and I appreciate you doing that. I could sense that um, Cedar House wants to enter the community in a way uh, in which you are positive, productive, uh, great members of the community, and, and I could see for sure you all attempting to make sure that you're dealing with the concerns as best as you can. Um, I had a couple of questions of the city, and then I want to pop back real quick. Um, is there a fire code around how many people could be in this building? Do we have that determined? Yes, there is, and um, staff directed the applicant to do preliminary discussion with the fire department. Okay, so when we're talking about numbers like 80, that is uh, an amount that could be in the building? Correct. Okay, um, that was clarification for me. Um, I, I guess my first question is, in that interaction, did you all um, discuss um, any sort of common ground that, that, that there could be a give or take prior to coming here? I think the, the initial thing that Scott and I, and Scott, you can um, chime in on this as well. I think we, uh, Scott had asked about lowering the, uh, the capacity, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that was one of the pieces that we hit. And I said uh, we we weren't we didn't want to we couldn't compromise on that. Uh, and I think you mentioned having Friday nights somewhere else, and I think we addressed that as well. Just saying, guys, this is the whole reason that we, that yeah. we bought the place is to to have yep. a, a religious gathering, you know, on a Friday night. So. So I heard parking come up, and I think there is a process for that if the neighborhood so desired to go down that process as well. I think that's a, a built-in accountability measure for parking. Um, I guess back to the city, I think we should be as fair and consistent in the asks of anybody that's owning this property in the same general vicinity. So um, if I was to go through 
the appeal and look at some of the noise traffic utility service design review components. Are those in any way, have we ever done anything like that with any other businesses within the general vicinity? Good evening. Um, probably the most comparable example would be the Friends Church on Almond. Um, that came forward at a time when we still had the ability to require parking. Um, and so that particular church has a shared parking agreement that they um, entered into with their surrounding properties, but there are similar types of conditions imposed related to noise and other potential impacts on the surrounding neighborhood. Was it parking or is there conditions? And there's, there's conditions related to noise, similar type of thing um, for noise to be contained within the building, music, um, because of the surrounding neighborhood. And then parking in that case was an issue because the site itself couldn't accommodate the on-site parking. And so um, that particular church uh, went down the path of finding alternate additional parking. And then, okay. Um, Kavi, that's what I have for now. Thank you. You're a good council member? For now, yeah, thank you. All right, um, Mayor Pro Tem Barrios. Um, yeah, I don't know. We good? Okay. okay, thank you. Thank you, guys. I'm, a, I'm a really confused about the occupancy. So is there a set occupancy, or do we know? I mean, and, and I ask really critically because my building that I occupy commercially is just about the same size as this building. And at 30 people in that building, it feels tight. So I'm, a, I'm do we have a number or do we not? Yeah, we do. Good evening. Russell Butum, Community Development Director. Good evening. Uh, I spoke with the building division today. Uh, as it's currently designed, uh, it could occupy 80. Uh, there are certain things that they could do to the building with exiting and, and expansion that it could potentially go up to 120. Uh, but at this current time, the way that it's designed, it's at, right now it's at 80. Okay. Mayor, and that's under the current configuration. So um, I, I think it, it's interesting that you bring up Friends Church. That's a little bit different than what they're asking for. But um, I get complaints about that particular property quite a bit just because they're doing full worship services on the weekends with full amplified music. Um, as much as we put restrictions on them, they're not being followed. So um, that's so the noise concern is a real one um, in terms of how we enforce that and how we take care of that. So I'm glad to hear that there already seems to be a plan in place for that. But if that's a question, that is correct. That's mm -hmm. condition number 15. Mm -hmm. uh, we've conditioned the, uh, the in the in the in the resolution. It specifies that the applicant will comply with all the noise ordinance in the municipal code. It also has uh, particular conditions about acoustics. It also has conditions on doors and windows. Okay. Um, in terms of the neighborhood itself, obviously we can't, I mean, we had a similar situation. Um, I met with some of the residents we, before you, you were here. Um, Anna might remember when we were looking at Shannon Mortuary wanting to have um, 50 people little gatherings in there and that was shut down at Planning Commission, appealed to the council. Um, in that case, we were able to take parking into consideration because that was prior, just prior to the state passing this rule, is that correct? 
I'm not quite familiar with that I, project, I but, but what I would doing. say is it's when you're speaking about parking, it is it is the uh, AB 2097 uh, that if you're within one half mile of public transit, uh, mm -hmm. we can no longer require parking. So it's 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 a kind of under different circumstances now versus then. Does when they say that does that just mean like a bus stop? Uh, yeah, I believe a bus stop if it's a uh, public transit would apply. Is that correct? Can, do you have the do you have the uh, ordinance on that? Yeah. Um, for, for clarification, uh, it's applicable to major transportation facilities. So the Orange Transportation Center, right, qualifies. And in that particular instance, they had come up with a parking plan with the AT and T building across the street, and yet was still denied. For the so, Shannon Mortuary, mm -hmm. correct. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, there were <coughs> conditions of approval that included monitoring of staff monitoring of um, events at the mortuary to make sure people weren't parking in the neighborhood. So it's a similar condition to what uh, has been included in the Planning Commission resolution. Okay. And yet, in that case, the Planning Commission shot them down. And then it was appealed. Correct. And still denied. I, and I'm just bringing up the history because I don't like it to be arbitrary or I don't like it to be unfair or that somebody has a better friend on a, you know, on one of the bodies and gets what they want and other people don't, you know. So just I find that really troublesome and how not your fault. <laughs> so you guys did your job um, in terms of what we can looking proactively for the neighborhood. What are we allowed to do? I know that, you know, in speaking with the city attorney, um, I know what it's like to have to be in on that cusp of a neighborhood that's transitioning like this, and it's not fun, and it is really a drag on your peace of mind. I think, I think you know, for I thank you guys all for coming out. We did, my neighborhood did not have that opportunity when the Grand Jamo came in, and we did we couldn't stand up for ourselves. So I really, I really applaud you for coming out and defending your neighborhood. We need lots of that. I actually have a feeling you're going to be a great addition to the neighborhood. But there's balance. It's always got to be about balance. So what are we able to look at? I know everyone's phone's going off. Sorry. Well, someone was busy tonight. Uh, Mayor Pro Tem, that's, that's a good question. And uh, I, I believe Ani mentioned it in her presentation earlier, but I, I hope to clarify. So the, the application uh, for the conditional use permit is for the worship and gathering portion of the project. So the coffee shop in this district is permitted by right, mm -hmm. um, in which if that was just a coffee shop, um, we would just allow the regular occupancy that's allowed for the building, uh, and it would be a permitted use. The parking that would be applicable for that coffee shop, we wouldn't be talking about. They would move straight to, um, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have gone to Planning Commission for a conditional use permit. We went to uh, Planning Commission for a conditional use permit for the gathering aspect of the worship center. Um, so this is a conditional use permit before the city council this evening. Uh, so the city council has the opportunity to, you know, condition, sorry, uh, condition the application so that you see fit. Um, however, I would, you know, kind of take a look at the types of uses um, or the type of use that they're proposing. Um, and there is uh, already a condition, I believe it's number is it 14 or 16 uh, that already does, it's 16. Uh, 16 that does already limit the hours of operation for gatherings and for um, the number of times that they're doing things per quarter um, for the workshops and such. Uh, so staff has already included that and that was what was approved by the Planning Commission as well. 
Well, in, in direct connection to this neighborhood, most of the commercial operations that are around, you know, that are right there, just right there in that kind of block off Pixley and Parker, are mostly operations that are kind of closed by five or six o'clock. So there's not much going on after that. So this is gonna be a use that puts gatherings and a new type of use into the later hours, correct? Yeah, in, in, this, in this district on, on Chapman, um, it's a commercial boulevard, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I suppose there's some reasonable expectation that there will be some businesses uh, that... Well, that, and I saw in here about the parking that the applicant um, would put up some uh, removable, is that what it was? Movable signage, which I can tell the neighbors really helps, um, but it really only helps if you're also in a permit parking area um, in terms of that. Could we condition anything such as... Um, requesting that they, I don't know, put like crossing guards. I don't know, like, you know, uh, uh, yeah, the, we do this at big gatherings, like with the scouts or with yeah. some of the bigger churches where on those big holidays or whatever that, you know, could we make that a regular thing that we ask something of that? So it's difficult for us to condition something in regards to parking because we're not supposed to apply parking to this use. But we have worked with the applicant and that's where you see the conditional use, uh, the conditions that are included in there are things that the staff has worked with the applicant that they've agreed to uh, because they anticipate there might be some people coming there. Mm -hmm. um, however, it's, it's difficult for us to require. So this is things that staff has worked on that, that they've agreed to. Okay. And um, I would very much like staff to proactively look into, um, and this would be something on our side for um, moving these two streets into permit parking. Um, they are within the, they're, at this point, like for example, my street was done automatically as a sphere of influence of Chapman University. There is no doubt that the sphere of influence from Chapman University has gotten super fat at this point. And these neighborhoods are being impacted on the backside and the front side. And um, I, I know that we're in the process of looking that. The sooner we can do that, especially for these neighbors, the better off we're going to be because they're gonna be back here anyway, and I would like it to be under a sphere of influence instead of making them go through the rigmarole that we do right now. So it should just be what we're thinking of right off the bat. And I think that'll help the applicant because it'll be there, it'll help the neighbors, and we don't have to come back and do all this again. All right, that's enough, I'm sorry. So <laughs> All right, before I continue, I've been told I need to close the public hearing, so I'm going to do that now. Now we'll move to uh, Councilmember Gillenhammer. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, Russell, questions? Um, I was reading the noise, noise uh, provision in the CUP, and I, I think it quotes and <coughs> says, noise is not audible outside of the building. So if that is a stipulation of the CUP, right, how, how, how do you do that? Right, that, that's, that's the original CUP. Noise is not audible outside of the building. And I'll, I'll find the specific page. I think we have it. It's condition number 15. It's on the bottom of page five of seven of the uh, proposed council resolution. Um, so, I mean, if that was followed, there would be no noise issue. So I guess if that's already a part of the conditional use permit, no noise audible outside of the building. Um, <clears throat> that is the approval from the Planning Commission uh, that it was appealed to City Council so that it's before you this evening as a, as a condition that's, that's 
for city council review. Okay, and then if, if this wasn't under a conditional use permit, what other uses would there be for this building? So we'd go to, it wouldn't have a condition of, of approval. It wouldn't go anything beyond uh, in condition number 15 where it says the use shall comply with uh, Orange Municipal Code section 8.24. It would just be period. Correct. It, in its existing zoning capacity. That's correct. It's, an, it's a currently a coffee house, but what other uses of this building? Is there any other use where this could be uh, similar to a, I guess, what does the zoning allow for this building to be without a conditional use permit? Yeah, so it's a, it's a commercial district, so it, it could be a restaurant. However, if, it were, if, if they uh, apply for alcohol, you would have a, an alcohol CUP, but otherwise it, it could be a restaurant. If I could also add, it's, the zoning is mixed use, so it could be a whole spectrum of retail, commercial, office, um, yeah, as, as Russell mentioned, could be restaurants. So it's intended to accommodate a variety of uses that um, kind of builds upon the activity that's already uh, concentrated in Old Town. Okay. Then back to the first question. If a stipulation of the conditional use permit is that noise is not audible outside of the building, um, is that not enforceable with the CUP? Yeah, this is the, this, if the condition of approval says that and, and that's what we have to apply, that's, that's what we would do. Okay. Council Member Dimitru. Thank you, Mayor. Um, Russell, were you done? I'm sorry. Uh, no, you go ahead, Jeff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, or, or uh, Ms. Pahushek. Uh, community centers, uh, uh, it, it could be done under this uh, zoning as well, correct? It's mixed use 15S, Old Town mixed use 15S zoning, right? Correct. So a community center would be allowed without by right. I would have to pull up the land use table. So if I did my research correctly, a theater, walk-in movie performances, art galleries, Museums, community centers, uh, would all be would all be allowed to take place there as a functioning business under the zoning. Um, but a house of, uh, I shouldn't say, but a church, because uh, in my opinion, uh, ministry where people gather becomes a church. But um, I'll move on from that. I, I I have a different point that I actually want to make that kind of lost. There it is um, when the Coptic Church. Um, came through, uh, the Coptic Christian Church came through, the Planning Commission changed a lot of similar conditions that were proposed by staff um, due to the, the church not having the flexibility to meet the needs of their community um, as to meeting times or the functionality of their, of their gatherings. So how did it come about this time that the Planning Commission was inconsistent with their previous changes they made, and I lost the page, that they made uh, to the Coptic Church as compared to this, this uh, facility. Unfortunately, I really can't speak to that. I'd have to refresh my recollection of the details of that application. Okay. Ay, ay, ay. Um, so, in the conditions that we have now that 
how, how did we reach condition 16 with all the bullet points? Um, was that staff driven? Did the uh, applicant um, set the parameters themselves? So the um, parameters identified in that condition reflect the operating proposal uh, presented by the applicant. Okay, so the, these were all self-induced wounds. Correct. Okay, because, um, and no, no offense to the, the residents, I, I personally find some of them to be a little overboard, and I understand we have a little difference of opinion. You guys want less. I actually think it should be more, um, but nonetheless, they, uh, they have these. Um, is there an ability, uh, Mr. Uh, for Russell, is there an ability for us uh, from the dais, uh, one of the concerns that was brought up was lighting in the alleyway, that uh, there's some shade uh, issues or uh, dark issues. Is there a way to, to condition, um, even if it's subdued lighting, so it doesn't disturb neighboring uh, residential properties, but put it on uh, the Cedar House to backlight the alley portion where their facilities located in order to ensure clear uh, vision at night or, or what have you. You know what I'm going at there? We're just trying to provide uh, safe lighting. Yeah, I, something I that puts a little bit additional lighting back there that, that as a, one of the residents had spoken about was that, uh, you know, there, there's not a clear, clear light, uh, there's not clear vision through that back alley. And uh, they were worried about, uh, I can't remember specifically now, what have you, but, um, is there a way to condition that they put a, a motion light at maybe or something that turns on in order to make sure that nobody's lurking? I'm, I'm sure if we asked the applicant, they'd be amenable to something like that. It's not typically something that we would do through like a design review or a specific condition of how they operate. But uh, given the applicant's presentation tonight, they, they, they seem like they would probably um, entertain something like that. Miss yeah. um, Pohoshek? With the Friends Church, when did that approval, when did those approvals take place? I know pop quizzes tonight, huh? <laughs> I honestly, I don't know that year off the top of my head. Um, okay, there, I have a couple more, uh, more comments than questions, so I'll, uh, I'll leave it be for now. Um, actually, I, one more question. Um, With these, with the conditions that were agreed to, and actually this is probably uh, more of a comment, but with, with some of the conditions that were agreed to, for instance, I'm just gonna pull one uh, real quickly. Um, the once a month meeting on Wednesdays for the leadership, um, or on a Wednesday from 6.30 to 8.30 for a leadership meeting. Uh, if suddenly they can't have it on that Wednesday, and they need to move it to a Tuesday, does that suddenly violate their CUP? Uh, Councilmember uh, uh, Dimitri, I, I, I think you bring up a good point, uh, that when the conditions of approval for how a business operates are so specific that if they want to uh, start a meeting at 5.30 instead of 6.30, um, or if they want to do this on a, on a Thursday instead of a Wednesday, um, you bring up a good point that uh, perhaps it's better not to have specific days and specific times that if they ever want to change how they operate, they wouldn't have to come back to amend their CUP. And one of the reasons I'm, I'm kind of leading the witness, so to speak, um, 
on that is that if if Cedar House um, goes forward and they're working with the residents and they're finding out again, for instance, that Wednesday night from 6:30 to 8:30 doesn't work with the the neighbors, but Thursdays from 5 to uh, 6:30 does, that they could adjust. But when it's in the conditions, it violates the CUP, leading to possible revocation. So, um, again, I, I I don't I don't like the this the specificity of that language being in there because it takes out actually the ability of Cedar House neighbors as well as Cedar House to actually kind of figure out and through growing pains uh, figure out the best way to conduct business. Um, are you familiar with the uh, you know towards approvals uh, and conditioning um, the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act? I would probably refer to our city attorney on that. So we're constrained um, on things we can actually, um, I'm trying to remember and get it all straight, we're constrained significantly by that act by Congress, and a number of courts have concluded that cities cannot ex exclude or put egregious conditions on churches. And it was interesting that, you know, kept being referred to, and I, I talked to one of my colleagues about this earlier, kept being re referred to as um, ministry services or, or um, rather than church, and then it got changed kind of to church. Oh, don't sit down yet. <laughs> oh, no, buddy. <laughs> that was coming You're not getting away from me. Um, <laughs> but... Um, this is going to go into a speech, so I'll tell you what. Yeah, you're off the hook, buddy. Um, I'm going to leave my questions at that, and uh, we'll, I'll wait for comments. Council member, if I could um, just add some clarification to the uh, your comments regarding the specificity of the condition. And this was something that the Planning Commission also raised at the public hearing before them, and they added uh, at the end of the bulleted list, there's language that was added uh, refer referencing any modifications to the operational hour limitations uh, be something that would be subject to review by the community development director. So, I'm sorry, Mr. Billeta, let me ask, I know you're next, but have we put restrictions that are so specific on any other business in town? I mean, it kind of seems that if, if, um, if it was a restaurant, for instance, or that we, that we're now telling them you, you can sell uh, taco on Tuesday and it has to be an enchilada on Thursdays. It, this is really specific for what it, it really doesn't, it, it seems it's overburdensome. It, it's, it, it, it's an overreach. So is there any other, uh, any other uh, business in town, where, minus the alcohol licenses, because those, I knew you, I got you. I knew, <laughs> I knew you were going there. Other than alcohol, is there any other business that has, uh, or, or, you know, heck, a church, anything that has this level? Oh, here we go again. Any other level that is this specific in, in this kind of overburdening um, regulation? What we often see in the case of schools or pre preschools, schools um, where you've got traffic generation and different types of activity that are likely to generate parking and traffic impacts. We see 
specific references to pick up drop-off times and things like that. So that's an area where we do get into a little more detail on uh, different hours of activity. Okay. And I, and just real quickly, just closing up, I'm sorry. I, I actually, uh, I agree 100% with the mayor pro tem on proactively uh, moving forward with permitting the area. Um, I think when they did come through originally, when they were denied that area, uh, it didn't meet some of the standards, but as uh, the young lady uh, back there had stated with the, the Chapman party house that we're all very, very aware, aware of them, the, the two-story building on Chapman that has the, uh, the weekly rager, um, we're very aware of it, um, but the area has been impacted by Chapman and I think it may benefit, um, may benefit all to permit the areas and I, and I'm, I hate permit parking, but I can see the need for it in the area, um, especially with uh, Pixley, uh, Parker, and I would even say across on the other side of Chapman on Pixley and Parker, because I can see a potential impact there as well. And the, the, one of the concerns I have with Cedar House, and it may sound like I'm very much in favor, but a concern I do have is parking across the street um, on uh, the other side of Chapman, on the, on the south side of Chapman, and then having, uh, patrons of the church decide to play Frogger across Chapman. Uh, and I'm really worried about somebody being struck and, and injured. Um, so somehow trying to, trying to force as much as we can for folks to either carpool or use the, the, the municipal lots is the key um, without you know, discriminating against a church function, which is it's protected uh, in so many different ways. So I'll... Mayor Proton, good, good on you. May I may I comment on the hours? I, I, I uh, Councilmember Vinci, I, I think you made some some really good points. Oh yeah, um, of course. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think simplifying the hours of operation um, to just a general open at a certain time and close at a certain time, uh, rather than uh, us trying to figure out uh, which once every other Saturday or once every other month on Saturday evening kids movie night is. Um, I, I think if we did a, a blanket time that the council was open uh, or open to saying when they should uh, open in the morning and close in the evening and uh, however many events they want to do within those uh, hours might be a little bit more simple uh, in terms of the conditions of approval and hours operation. If that's what you're kind of leading us towards, uh, we would be open to making that amendment. Yeah, my goal is to, is to try and get is to try and make sure that not only Cedar House, but the neighbors, that everybody has the ability to kind of adjust to whatever whatever has the least impact on the residents, but at the same time is workable for Cedar House. But the way the condition currently is, it just handcuffs you and that's it. And I think, I think if we take that condition out and generalize it, I think it actually gives a lot more room to, to work with. Um, and I think in the in the longer course of it, well, it doesn't give everybody a win. I think in, in the end, I think it gives the ability for that maneuverability and massage it as time goes on. And um, we'll find that there's there's opportunity there that we can we can work together and fix some some issues that arise. Thank you. All right, Councilmember Billado. Thank you. Not to belabor this. So uh, you can stay right there, Russell. Thank you. Um, so 
the coffee house is already by right. We can't, uh, we don't have to issue a CUP for that. So we're solely focused on the religious aspect of the application. And as Councilman Demetrius pointed out, there are very uh, strict federal and state laws that provide great <clears throat> protection for religious institutions. And in fact, the city would have to make a long set of findings to even deny this CUP, right? I mean, yeah, there that, are that we couldn't make. That's correct. There are required so, CUP findings. Yeah. So um, the one uh, the one condition that I'm kind of puzzled about is number 15 regarding noise, because I've never seen something so specific. And it says any sound, including amplified or unamplified sound or music, shall not be audible from outside of the building. Who wrote that? Is, that's not in the OMC. That was specific to this CUP. How did that come about? I'm going to check with our team here. Uh, we, we do have some standard template conditions of approval. I think some of them typically apply to restaurants, and I don't know if this is one of them. That's one of our standards. And I think, do we get those from the... In this particular case, it's from the applicant. Okay. Well, he looks puzzled, so I'm not sure that he, he thinks it's from him. But, um, I, you know, I, I think of my church that I go to, and when I roll up, and I'm, I'm usually a little late, but uh, I could hear, you know, the choir from the outside. And so they'd be in violation of that condition. And I just don't know if that's reasonable, and that might provide liability to the city that we're providing, that we're, in fact, imposing uh, undue burden on this applicant. And I'm concerned about that. Um, that seems to be pretty unreasonable, given that we know it's an old structure uh, with single pane windows, as uh, the mayor pro tem has pointed out. I just don't even know if that's feasible. Um, I mean, when they open the front door, you're going to be able to hear the music, and then they're in violation. So, how do you even how do you even enforce that? I I think that's also another good point about the conditions of approval, uh, perhaps complying with the noise ordinance? Uh, I mean, we, we do have a very robust nor noise ordinance. Mm -hmm. um, it's time-weighted. And basically, at 10 p.m., if you've got any noise going on outside, you're, you're done. And we have code enforcement people, and you get brought up, and there's a revocation hearing of your CUP. That, that's how it works. That's how our noise ordinances are enforced. Um, and it's very um, objective. Uh, I just don't know how this is a, uh, a reasonable and feasible um, condition to put upon this type of use, yeah. uh, given the statutes that are on the books on the state and federal level. Yeah, so that, we do that's have an, an observation exterior, I have. Yeah, we have exterior noise standards in our municipal code that talk about the decibel levels uh, during certain hours of the, uh, of the day and maximum decibel levels for the exterior noise. Yeah, in, in, in the code, I have it here in front of me, yeah. it, it's, uh, it's typically measured from the next property over. So, you know, because we don't want people impacting other people. So it's not right at the exterior of the structure. It's over at the next property. Um, so, so the sensitive receptor. So I don't know that this uh, condition was well written. And I... I would highly recommend that we strike the portion that says shall not be audible from outside of the building. I, I, I don't think there's another CUP in the city that has that. Are you aware of one? 
not. To I'm not, <laughs> and I've been around here a little bit. Only for alcohol establishments, but usually that has to do with um, the way that they operate. Okay, and uh, that's what I have for right now. Thank you. Councilmember Gillenhammer. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, that was exactly what I was going to say. I think this, the original CUP seems specifically restrictive in a couple of areas. <clears throat> Timeframes, uh, absolutely no noise heard from the outside. I do have a question. Who's removing drums and bass? Is that something that we came up with in the CUP? And are we concerned with what type of music is coming from the house or just the decibel level? It says in there that they're not playing drums or bass, correct? Um, correct. So um, just to clarify a little bit on the noise um, and music, um, when staff was preparing the staff report for the, and the conditional use permit, um, staff inquired with the applicant team as to what kind of music, just to have an understanding um, of what is to be anticipated. The applicant provided information that it'll be mostly acoustic music um, without a drum kit or bass. Okay, so that was a give from the applicant. And I think um, <clears throat> the, the issue with the drum, excuse me, <clears throat> the drum and the bass is just the, the vibration associated with that type of you know, bass instrument or a, a, an electric guitar, electric bass. Okay. <clears throat> Russell, I would also be aligned with looking at the time frames and the no noise heard from outside conditions. Okay. Okay. Um, looks like we've exhausted our questions. Um, so at this point, I would uh, entertain a motion if there's uh, no further discussion, or we can have a motion and keep, keep on with some discussion. I'd like to proffer a motion, see if it'll stick. And I'm going to make a motion that we deny the appeal and that we strike the sentence in condition 15 that any sound, including amplified and unamplified sound or music, shall not be audible from outside the building. And the reason why I say that is because the only enforcement mechanism we have on this facility is to down the road revoke their CUP if they are not in compliance. But I think that sentence is so overly burdensome that if we went to court, we would lose because this is, this is unreasonable. It's an unreasonable condition that is not even enforceable, that has not been conditioned on anyone else in the city. So I don't think we should have that in this document because I think it takes away our ability to achieve compliance. And that is my motion. Uh if the maker of the motion will also include um, the adjustment of uh, condition 16 to more generalized, uh, remove some of the specificity of, of, you know, it has to be Wednesday at, you know, this time and, and such. Uh, so I think you have to be more specific. Like, what do you well, want to Well, it's, it's, what I'm saying is it's just going to be, you know, the, the, uh, the operation is from, you know, point A to point B, not all Just the, the first sentence, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Yeah, the, the, having, a, you know, a work, you know, the uh, leadership meeting being specific to a uh, once a month on a Wednesday at 6.30 to 8.30. It's, I mean, it's once a month on Tuesday from 6.30 to 9.30. Something need to, needs to change or, uh, you know, they have a, a, 
you know, for lack of a better phrase, if they had a, somebody that was seriously ill in their church or a death and they wanted to gather and it's not within that time frame, they suddenly are violating their CUP, which I don't think anyone wants to see that. Uh, I'll accept that amendment. I don't have a problem with it. I, I, I do think this is really yeah. crazy specific. I've never seen something like this. And, you, and I'll second your motion. And one of the main reasons is, um, again, a lot of the federal law, uh, and uh, we would be liable for damages, specifically under Title 42, Section 1983 of the United States Code, which has already been ruled upon a number of times, most recently in Illinois, where a city denied procedural um, conditions um, for approval. So I'll second your motion, sir. Okay, we have a motion and a second. Uh, Mayor Pro Tem Barrios. Thank you. Um, I, I think there's a differentiation in this list, and Russell, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, there seems to be things that are, as Councilmember Dimitri said, that almost operational in terms of leadership meeting. That to me, if, if it was just a regular business, I would read that as a management meeting, or you know, the regular counseling and the prayer appointments, and um, even what was the other one? <clears throat> the marriage enrichment, that that's part of their regular operation versus the gathering things. So the children's movie nights, the Friday night, the Friday night one, and um, the Friday night gatherings and say the community art classes where it's more, that is more on a schedule. That's not kind of operational in that, in that way. Would it be fair to separate them in that way? to provide the applicant flexibility, but provide, you know, the appellants the opportunity to say, okay, some things are in a framework. Am I allowed to do this during a motion or? You can speak. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, however the council wants to divvy up the hours of operations is, is suitable for us. I mean, it's, if you want to give a, a blanket hour of operation of what time they open in the morning, what time they close, uh, that works for us. Or if you want to specify that events can only happen on specific days or, or uh, specific hours on, on those days, um, we can do that as well. So, you know, if they were proposing 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day, but then you only allow for events on whatever evenings, that's up to the maker of the motion. And my fear is for what you, what you two have kind of devised here is the ability to have what you have on Friday night is a gathering every single night because you've taken all those restrictions off, which I understand what you're saying, but again, balance, trying to find balance. And I think even the applicant has tried to find balance here to really, you know, make welcome into the, into the new community. And that's all that the appellants are asking for. So you're actually taking it a step further, which is always a risk when people appeal because that happened on the district and that was devastating for that neighborhood. So I would just really urge you know, maybe we look at this as some bifurcation, and I would very much just beg you not to remove the, the thing about the music because I cannot tell you what a life changer that is to residents, and it, it's a big deal. And yes, other, other CUPs do have those conditions because I can tell you the Grand Giamos does. And what it is is no doors may be open, amplified music only inside and inside as in enclosed in the doors. And when the doors are open, you can tell the difference. And so people call. Yeah, and I don't have any problem leaving the part about no electric drums or bass guitar. Uh, I, that, 
that shouldn't be permitted. But um, recognize, though, in, in number 16, one of the restrictions is there'll be, there, shall, there shall be no services on Sunday. How do you operate a church with no services on Sunday? I, I, how did that even get in here? It, it makes no packet, sense they, to me. And it. we would never, we would never, this would never hold up in court. It just wouldn't. So I'm trying to come up with a document that has reasonable restrictions that we impose on everyone because we cannot single the single this use out um, that will hold up in court so we can actually have code enforcement that has teeth to it so because well, i wasn't finished earlier that was actually in the packet that the applicant provided it said it right on the first page we are not a traditional church we do not hold ministry on sundays irregardless of if the applicant put it forward it's the restriction as a whole with the past practice as well as going forward the restriction of not being able, even if they don't have a service on Sundays and they self-impose no services on Sunday, putting it as a condition, um, because it'll be an approved church, if that condition goes forward on another potential church there, now we're in violation of the law. <clears throat> so it, it, it's merely, they don't have to have church on Sunday. It's merely removing the language they can have their church service on Thursday. They, they can have it, you know, the fourth Tuesday following a full moon. It doesn't matter. But the, it, it is merely staying consistent um, across the board. So if, um, if, a, if a synagogue opened and they wanted to have their service, if a, another Christian church wants to open, uh, a, a mosque wants to open, whatever it is, is we're consistent in the application of the law. And it has to be... Um, equal under the 14th Amendment, as well as the First Amendment with the, the uh, with freedom of religions. They both, they both tie in here, and that's what all the lawsuits, and specifically in Illinois, um, there's a city there that just got tagged um, for $18,000 in damages. Mind you, in California, it's going to be a lot higher because we just pay higher for everything else. But um, th this is specifically one of those language issues that occurred. So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you a question because specifically brought up the Coptic church that had come through earlier, but that came through specifically as a church, right? Am I, am I correct? Did, is this one coming through strictly as a church? Because I was, I, is that, is that, that's how you, that's how you applied and registered. Okay. So are you saying then that by regulation, by by precedent, by just even federal law, we handled this wrong to begin with. Is that I'm trying no? To I'm understand. just trying to make sure that we we keep ourselves out of court. And this is one of those. This is an ability through um, through the uh, the appeal that we can kind of right the ship on some issues that could potentially be there. It may never happen where there's a lawsuit, but why put us at any risk of any type of lawsuit? And I think um, with the adjustment to the conditions, I think this actually gives the city um, a little more, um, a little more uh, uh, ability to protect ourselves from litigation. So I want to stay focused on the motion. Um, a substitute motion can be offered. If not, we will uh, can proceed with the existing motion and see how that goes. So let me just uh, 
I'm Councilman Gillenhauer, did you have a question? Okay. So I'll just want to make a few <clears throat> comments. Um, one of the things that makes Orange so special is that on one hand you have a, a tight neighborhood and um, I respect and love that so much and you should be so happy with, uh, with the closeness that you have in your neighborhood. I can tell you are and I think that's wonderful. I definitely agree with uh, two of my colleagues that um, <clears throat> the parking uh, permit program should be given another shot um, the, as soon as the city is able to tackle that um, then uh, I think I would encourage you definitely to bring that forward because I think that the second time around you you might be successful and on the other hand we have our church community of the city and I really feel that the churches are what um, sustain Orange and hold it up and make it such a special community. We have so many churches in Orange and they've been here, many of them, a long, long time. This is a new church. Um, I'm, uh, I th think you're going to get along with the neighbors personally and I know you're going to try and I'm convinced of that. So, um, <clears throat> so I am gonna support the motion. Do you, uh, does anyone else have any comments? That I am. I just wanted to offer. Okay. Please. I wanted to offer a substitute motion that we approve the CEP as it as it's written. Okay. Is there a second? Okay. I'm sorry, this substitute motion fails. And I also wanted <clears throat> to clarify that I, I I'm directing staff to. <clears throat> bring these streets into into the parking program without making them go through the hoops again for it because they have tried once before thank you mayor pro tem so we'll look at that we're, we're looking at the existing rules regulations and ordinance and and when we bring that back we will bring it back um with with something with with these streets right thank you <clears throat> i'm calling uh, for a vote The appeal is denied uh, six to one with uh, Mayor Pro Tem Barrios voting no. Okay, uh, this meeting is now adjourned. The next regular city council meeting will be held on Tuesday, February 27, 2024 at 6 p.m. in the council chamber with closed session beginning at 5 p.m. If necessary, we're adjourned.